independentleft.news Indie. Indie. What's up, Indie? Indie News Network. Indie. I get news from Independent Left. Independentleft.news. Independentleft.news. Indie Left Media. Independent Left News. Indie Left. Independent Left News. Independent Left Media. Indie Media. Indie Left. Indie. 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 Indie Left News. Indie Left. Hi, Indie! Indie Left News. Subscribe to Indie News Network. We're world building. Your, your way of assisting, I feel like, is really cool. Independentleft.news. Independentleftnews. I'm a huge fan. He created INN. The founder of uh, Independent News Network. Indy is the founder of Indie News Network. Thank you, Independentleft.news. A huge thank you and shout out to Indy Left. Everyone, check out Indy Left News. Hey, Indy Left. Independentleft.news. Indy. Indy. Hi, Indy. Indy Left. Indy Left News. Indy News. Independent Media. Independentleft News is doing an amazing job. much more in-depth piece from from ted at antiwar.com that that was featured in popular resistance again six things that the media won't tell you about ukraine and i clipped this out okay talking about how here are six crucial pieces of background that the western media won't tell you all right first of all again the nato promise putin's demands are only bold if it is bold to ask nato to keep his promises Okay, his demands are only impossible if it is impossible for NATO to keep its promise. All right, Russians also feel the sting of hypocrisy when it comes to Ukraine and Crimea. They point to Kosovo and Cuba, which is also history is not on our side here. No. Yeah, I mean, but what do we want? You know, a different Bay of Pigs this time, you know? Hmm. Unreal. So, yeah, as a result, Russia sees the West, uh, West position on Crimea as nothing more than a case of extreme hypocrisy. Right. I mean, meddling. Declassified documents make it clear that all the Western powers, including not only the U.S. and Germany, but also the U.K. and France, repeatedly made Russia the same promise, which is, again, that we would not expand westward or eastward beyond Germany. Right. And that, again, declassified documents have made that clear, that, that that is what was promised. It was a reiteration of the earlier 19, February 1990 promise that not only NATO membership, but NATO troops would not extend east. Yeah, except then there's, we have, right? Well, except we have, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, then there's the catalyst for the crisis today, right, which was that 2014 coup which was set up and supported yep. by Viktor Yanukovych. We remember right. old Vicky. Yep. Okay, so both Russia and the EU, EU could help Ukraine and Yanukovych. Doesn't have to be forced to choose, according to Stephen Cohen, and that's why I put this in, because everybody reveres Stephen Cohen and his, and his takes and opinions. May he rest in peace. It was the European Union, backed by Washington, that said in November to the democratically elected president of a profoundly divided country, Ukraine, you must choose between Europe and Russia. You must choose. So instead of a Russian puppet president betraying his people and abandoning an economic alliance with the EU in favor of an economic alliance with Russia, what the media will not tell you is that the catalyst of the current crisis was a U.S. engineered and supported coup of a democratically elected president. 
who we may not have liked, but he was democratically elected. But what happened? We destabilized our country. Then there's also the media will not tell you about the crucial connection between the NATO promise to expand, not to expand east and the coup in Ukraine itself. Right, again, Stephen Cohen also included security policy provisions that would apparently subordinate Ukraine to NATO. So the provisions compelled Ukraine to adhere to Europe's military and security policies. So the proposal was not a benign economic agreement. It was a security threat to Russia in economic sheep's clothing. That is. And then there's again what Crimea wants. What does Crimea want? What do they want? That's a great question. In itself, it's not so important to the U.S. What was so threatening was the was what the annexation meant in terms of Russia's relationship to the U.S. and in terms of its changing role in the world world order. We saw that as they're expanding eastward or westward, except it was already part of, of their, okay, the EU Economic Alliance was an aggressive package that hid it in NATO's expansion right up to Russia's border. The media won't tell you that either. Mm. Yes, it does. So, and again, not only does it have bipartisan support, it also has support of the corporate media that serves the military-industrial complex and defense contractors. So you right. won't hear this kind of questioning of why are we involved in Crimea? What are we doing there? Are we in the right? Have we made promises and guarantees to the to, to these people? And again, this is the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft who points out that Russia has not annexed Donetsk and Luhansk, okay, or recognized their independence. He says that annexation is not Russia's preferred option for the future of the Donbass region, and adds that the that the important reminder that. Moscow could have annexed the Donbass and did Crimea at any time during the past seven years, but it's refa has refrained. Now, part of it, honestly, is because we drew a line in the sand when they went to Crimea, and right. it brought us to the brink at that point. And they probably well, didn't, didn't we, want to push much further. Like Obama, Obama before Trump got in office, right? Didn't he mm -hmm. like push a bunch of troops over there? Yes, he did. See what like Trump would do with it, pretty much. This is yeah. well, well, yeah, but this is also. Yeah, Russia pushing Obama and and you know and, and right. not just Russia but but the entire East pushing the the limits on Western imperialism. Okay, but yeah. what the real picture is: Russia doesn't want the Donbas, and Donbas, possibly even Ukraine, don't want NATO. NATO, yeah. right? But they also yeah. feel the sting, like I said, when they point to Kosovo and Cuba. Right in two thousand eight, we supported that. Did I? Did I? have that earlier maybe I maybe think so. i think that was a dupe to reiterate though the annexation of crimea was not a russian act of, of expansionist aggression or intervention again i think that this was written by somebody in russia um this is clearly a pro-russian stance uh definitely an okay anti-imperialist stance that's also okay to be uh, I'm, I have no problem with it, but I certainly want to want to state what the bias clearly is here. I mean, this is this is definitely yes. not from an American perspective. It was a defense of a red line against U.S. expansionism that broke foundational in U.S. NATO promise, and against an expansionist, an interventionist U.S. supported coup. Okay, yeah. all of these things are true, and the Western media won't tell you any of them. Yeah, well, and they're they're right that they won't like. We wouldn't hear any of that stuff. So, yep. do you, did, did it say who wrote that at the top? That, 
That was from antiwar.com. Tom, some, Tom. Uh, Ted Snyder. Ted Snyder from antiwar.com. Okay. Ah, oh. see, now slideshow off. Which was especially gross. Um, again, so Russia estimates that any crackdown will only strengthen Zelensky's hands. Okay. Lacking a power base of his own. They I think they, again, want to see Zelensky... On the other hand, they, they Western powers have retrenched panic from Kiev and embittered Zelensky is left to fend for himself. Paradoxically, this also makes him a reasonable interlocutor liberated from the U.S.'s vice-like grip. It's really interesting how they kind of, <clears throat> how do you thread the needle? Right? Here you go. Zelensky's massive mandate in the 2019 election was largely due to wholehearted support from Russian voters who were attracted to his platform of dialogue with Russia and the promise of a negotiated settlement in Donbass with Moscow's help. But in the end, he became a captive of extreme nationalists and a victim of Western manipulation. That's, again, what their position is. Um, and... Zelensky and Biden recently had a had a rough con had a rough phone com conversation. That's really important to understand. All right, Russia's tentative offer appears to be that Ukraine could opt for a status of neutrality on the lines of Austria and Finland with a self-imposed ban on its NATO membership. Okay, now where that where what is there in that for Zelensky? Well, first of all, they'll stop bombing the country that's want to see that stuff but that also will okay hold the key to easing tensions in the donbass because now you've got russia involved and apparently there is a large number of russian separatists they call them that have declared independence and this was another thing that nobody talked about this week okay was that vladimir putin in his big speech i believe it was at the munich security conference he acknowledged the Luhansk and Donetsk as independent countries. And that was a major thing. So that was basically him, you know, so people saw that as him giving himself permission to protect them at that point. Well, they're now independent nations because basically we said so and because they've been declaring themselves independent for eight years and nobody's listening to them. Well, I guess I should freaking listen to them and fuck, I'll protect them. Because they were already part of us at one point to begin with. They want to be part of them. They're, they're Russian, okay? Uh, they, they're Russian by nature. They speak Russian. So I'm, uh, I'm going to do it. Uh, and that's, and, and that, that's what's going on here. And nobody thought he was going to do it, right? He could resume his links with the pro-Russian constituency. And this would have implications for his bid of a second term in 2023. Okay, and then also we've got Russia ex enjoys extensive networking within Ukraine. Hell, the company that I work for, and I'm not going to say which one, they're, it's a big company, but we actually have an office in Moscow, and our Russia office is supposed to work and service and sell to the Ukraine. And I actually was speaking with one of our reps, and I've been very concerned about this and about them and their family and and some of the pictures I've been getting back have just been unbelievable. Um, footage, scenery, and um, but they 
have decided to reassign who's going I think it's going to be our rep out of Poland will now deal with our Ukrainian office and deal with our clients in Ukraine because we're assuming that there could potentially be resentment or tensions, of course, now towards Moscow and towards Russia. Now that Russia has been bombarded, has attacked, invaded, whatever terminology you want to use um, um, to describe what they what they did this week. But I don't know how friendly Ukrainians are going to be to the Russians at this point. And I think that's... but. They're, they still think that even after they do this, there's enough Ukrainians that still want to be part of Russia. Now, again, according to the my coworker, that's not what they want. They actually do want to be part of NATO, which was kind of heartbreaking to hear because at the same time, we've already promised Russia that they would never be part of NATO being part being on their border. So I, I, I don't know how we square that. Um, okay, Russia enjoys extensive networking. Like I said, as for Russia out of the conditions, what do they get? So there's a whole, again, great breakdown. Uh, will the U.S. acquiesce with the nation process? There is hope that Macron can can mediate. Conceivably, he is in touch with Biden. Who knows? They're neolibs. Birds of a, birds of a neolib, WEF feather, flock together, right? So <clears throat> that's kind of a breakdown of where we are. Now, let's talk about some of the misinformation that was shared out there. I got so angry. Let me doodly-doo. And again, let's talk about the misinformation that was shared out there. But I got so fired up about seeing this stuff out on Twitter that it actually inspired me for the first time to actually write an article rather than just aggregating and collating, which is what I usually do on a daily basis. So, again, misinformation has been a hot topic in mega-corporate mega controlled media and, of course, on social. What happens when sources of, that Americans trust are routinely caught lying to them using false imagery to generate emotional responses and trigger that instinctual programming? Well, here, what's the programming? It's America good, Russia bad, right? That's what we were drilled into our whole lives. And anyone who, that America backs is automatically good because we always do good, right? Well, of course, now we've, we've kind of deprogrammed ourselves, but most of America is still in that propaganda bubble. So for any American born since World War II, these two concepts have been subliminally and overtly programmed into our, our whole lives. But ask yourselves, who's telling these outlets to run with this old footage and imagery while intentionally misleading readers and viewers? And again, we've seen corporate networks. We've seen this woman is a blue chick. Uh, she, she is an MS. She is a journalist. Thousands of likes, thousands of retweets. Very emotionally stimulating and i can tell you somebody famous of a blue check that i know that shared this article and was very it made her feel very patriotic there's only one problem is that it was published in 2016. <laughs> but it was represented as it as though okay so it did give the credit. She did give the credit to the photographer. And that's correct. But it was published on Facebook in 2016. A volunteer photographer for U Ukraine's defense ministry who was dismissed following accusations by soldiers and local photographers that he staged a series of combat photos. This was staged. Look at the bunny. 
perfectly clean in the kid's hand. Their jackets and the the gun straight, you know, the, the, the fake the fake rifle strapped to the kid's back. And here you go. Stay informed. This media is presented out of context. Now Twitter is providing a warning label. Here you go. So now they now now this has really started to catch fire. And here's the original photo. So you can actually see it dated March 22nd, 2016. Receipts. Now, who used this? Uh, not, it wasn't just Mary Harper. I mean, there was a lot of people that, that used this imagery. And I saw, I saw that picture shared all over Facebook. This one. I mean, if you just search Twitter for this image... And again, what, I, what my contention here is that this image was probably shared, and that was just one person, 2,500 retweets, 9,500 likes, probably shared in like millions of times worldwide. And that was designed to get people feeling like, wow, everybody needs to care right now about Ukraine. Like, I, I really think that people need to... Um start caring about what they're hearing in the media because it doesn't matter if it comes from the left or coming from the right. Nope. We are getting filled with a bunch of bullshit and lies. We're, We're being, being manipulated a into, uh, you know, uh, basically there, that's the bad guy, you know, mm -hmm. um, which I, I get it. I get it. We all need a bad guy to point at. I get that. But yeah. both these countries are shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> But the thing is, is America twice as bad as either one of those countries, and we need to butt the fuck out. Hell yeah. Again, it's... We are not the world's policemen. Reef has been screaming all week. We are not the world's policemen. We've got to stop this. Reef is fucking right, man. Reef is 100% right. Who the fuck are we to go into someone else's country and decide that um, their, their freedom and their rights are in jeopardy, so we're going to protect them? But um, they don't want us there. Fuck. No. No, we just want to come in and we want to destroy everything and then take what, what is left. Resources. And leave you fucked in by yourself. The whole idea is to get, is to grab the resources, right? Um, so here's another one. And we're going to go back. This is example C because there was even more of a story that happened with example B. And it turns out I ended up using example B for the cover story. And it turns out. I was fed misinformation as well. So it's happening literally on both sides in real time, and we're trying to fact check ourselves. And and I'll admit when I got it wrong. Yeah, I mean, right. Well, yes. But so this one was shared again more than 13,500 times and almost 50,000 likes from this one blue check on Twitter. Heartbreaking. Right? There's a 43 second video. He's crying. He's saying goodbye to his daughter. It is heartbreaking. <laughs> All right. And and again, I'm not I'm not coming down on Bavisha Patel, other than the fact that she did not do a little bit of her fact checking or ask. And again, just to share the receipts, how many likes and shares and retweets there were. Except straight that, up the Real News Network. I'm telling you. Fucking, we fact check our shit ourselves. We don't have some intern do it. Oh, Bavisha actually blocked me from seeing that. She must have blocked me. 
Because wow. I think I did I did correct her and I and I fact checked her. And as she said, he's in Donbass. He's speaking Russian. He's actually going to fight the fascists, aka Ukrainian soldiers or militia. This is one hundred percent wrong. But she gets no, not twenty five thousand re. She gets twenty five thousand retweets. My fact check won't even get twenty five. Well, it got twenty five. It got twenty eight hundred likes a, on its own and seven hundred retweets. So, I mean, all this misinformation, and, and she's not even willing to take it down or say I was wrong or anything. She. Well, I, I don't know what, Bavi, what, 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 but guess what? It's still up because I wouldn't be able to play it right now if this was still up on, if this wasn't still up on her Twitter. Exactly. All right. Um, and here's the original post. All right. By Ivan Vikodko, who is the current mayor of Don Donetsk. I mean, it's. So again, this one, as it turns out. Adam Kitzinger. Okay, I guess that's the same one. It went out to over 40,000 people shared by Adam Kitzinger, who was another one that shared this. Okay, and, and that had 40-some-odd thousand likes on its, go, on its own. That's a congressman. So nobody As is... Freeman, hey, stop this misinformation shit. Are just, we just look like crazy fucking lunatics. Nobody, right. Well, so here... Here is the third story is Zero Hedge. And, and again, this is, there's so many things having to do with this story. But here is the picture of Zelensky, even in the military uniform, right? He's yep, fighting on I the front that. lines. Yeah, no, no it, was, it was a border inspection last April. Same pictures. Here's the Kitzinger one where he's sharing... The photo, the first photo that we showed. Okay, and again, this is a Tyler Durden, Zero Hedge. Which also, by the way, the U.S. government has been going after in censorship. Europe took down RT and Sputnik today, so now you can't access those networks uh, online or on TV. They are, that's part of their third round of sanctions. And we're just hoping that that doesn't happen here. Uh, we do believe in in free speech and and dissenting voices. And again, we've just proven that the U.S. media and that we are spreading as much propaganda as anything that they can claim anybody else is doing. So, oh, dude, we're probably doing it way worse. I'm sure we are. Um, and then uh, I don't know what this is. However, I'm going to take the risk because. Uh, contributor to the show big mad crab just sent me a link uh, and the title says ukrainian mp kiva called zelensky a criminal because he knew about the start of the military operation but decided not to start negotiations okay this is um Ilya rada Ilya kiva Proposed the creation of a negotiating group to end the war, <clears throat> which he considers already lost. Wow. Again, and this is by Scoop Trade. I don't know that publication. I have not vetted this story. I, this was just shared with us by Big Mad Crab, and I figured I'd share it because he said it was part of the story. So thanks for including this, Greg Crab. And we're going to continue to monitor this. Uh, I'm probably going to write a follow-up article because there were even more examples than the ones that I showed of misinformation happening this week with regard to Ukraine. 
And those two guys with the with the cardboard <clears throat> guns, that one was pretty good. The two guys with fun. the cardboard guns. Uh so this is the fun. third, this is the third one. And this this one really messed me up. So I used this image as the cover image when I shared it, and I got tweets saying, um, I think this is actually real. And actually, shout out to Matt Orf, or, Orf for when I sent him a link to this. He said, I think I think that that one's actually real. So really, uh, I don't know, because when I looked this, when I looked at Beth Sharon's page, <clears throat> um, she seemed to think that this was um, from a bombing in 2018, where a woman ends up looking the same way. Okay, now this is the one from 2022. And further down in the post, she's talking about here, this was some explosion in 2018, but apparently this image is not real. Um, and that's what I've learned. And this also is manipulative. This was what happened this week. These were pictures that are claimed from 2018, but actually the gas attack in 2018 was using the photo, the footage of a different building. <clears throat> so I, uh, but this one, if the, if time is going to, if they're going to stage a photo, this is time magazine. They might want to tell the soldier, take the cap off your optics. That's a little embarrassing. So that's one that I might include in another article. And I've had several people send me a bunch of different articles, uh, a, a bunch of different further misinformation that were that was perpetrated by the way twitter screw you guys for making me constantly have to hit more replies and more replies there's thousands of replies now this is the thing that i wanted to, to see okay how did this woman end up on the cover of every newspaper in the uk the next morning and the reason the, the answer is is because getty images bought the, the rights to that image to, to that image but She's the only person they got a picture of? I mean, now this actually is misinformation. And Orf actually did tell me this is another one, and this was shared by our friend Nico, and Nico got caught that this was, this was a fake, this wasn't real. That it turns out that CNN had actually reported the same death twice. That did not happen. The, that, that's a hoax. This asshole. This asshole. <laughs> Love it. That is such a true statement, though. Okay, because it does because the media only shows you a small portion of what you what what the true picture is, and it's what they want you to see and what they're trying to and convey. You see, I guess that was CNN. CNN who reported that bullshit. It wasn't really CNN. No, it was it was a fake account that made that that was a, a tailored doctor to look like CNN and make you Sorry. think that CNN was reporting that, but it wasn't. Um, yeah, here, here's here's more reports using that same screen cap. But this, these are the actual photos from the photographer from that day. And that she's the only one that's injured at all. And, and the, the only one who's bloodied. It's, it's a little, it's a little questionable why they couldn't get pictures of anybody else. Now, this is literally a staged event that they're obviously not taking that picture from here but that's another previous case where they had found something like that so i'm going to close out my twitter so nobody can see that um and let's go back to just noli and me and now finally we are going to 
That's our Ukraine portion. Oh my God, craziness. Ah, the world is burning, but be vigilant of the misinformation coming at you on all sides. Every image that you see before you hit retweet, make sure that it's legit before you hit retweet because a lot of that stuff is being designed to get you to be angry, to get you to have an emotion, to get you to share, and to get everybody else angry and spreading misinformation. And that's what happens. Misinformation spreads yeah. 10 times as, as quickly as correct, uh, actually bad, mis bad news as misinformation can spread seven times quicker than good news that's misinformation. So we definitely don't want to see that spread out there. Um, yeah, then there was the there was the the girl that somebody this FR news now I don't even know if they're a legitimate thing they they took a picture it was a Palestinian girl yelling at an IDF soldier and said that it was it was a Ukrainian yelling it at them so Jad Legum popular info <clears throat> and again here's a little talking about energy talking about Ukraine talking about Russia. The audacity of oil. And what he's talking about here is the gas, the oil companies, American Petroleum Institute. Right. So it's oil and gas, right? But what they want okay. to do is pressure the U.S. government to roll back environmental protections, right? So this is mm. what they've been up to. And so what they're clean saying water is... water and Clean Air Act gone, or...? Yeah, exactly, pretty much. So what they want is, yeah. what they should do is be upping, you know, if, if they claim to be so patriotic, they should be upping U.S. production because to make up for the 7% loss in production that we're going to be losing if we're boycotting Russia's oil, which we're doing right now. Okay, and, and this had right. happened back on March 7th. So you're talking almost mm. two weeks ago at this point. So, you know, the administration discouraged, discouraged American energy, and that it had halted new federal leasing key to future energy investment and production. So here they are like kind of crapping on what the administration was doing about drilling permits, about blocking development in Alaska. They want to drill, baby, drill, right? That, that, that's yeah. what the API's thing was. Um, but yep. what they're not doing is, you know, they <laughs> so talk about what the Biden administration isn't doing. And other claims are misdirection. Biden did nix Keystone XL, right? But would not have had any impact on Europe's dependence on Russian energy, which is true. All right. More fundamentally, right. current level of fossil fuel production in the U.S. doesn't reflect the industry's capacity, but rather it's their desire to keep su supplies constrained and prices high. And that's that, that's the, the gist of all of this, is that fossil fuel companies aren't producing more because shareholders prefer windfall profits. Right. Again, they saw demand, yep. supply, a way to get back to $100 a barrel oil, which is what's been happening lately. And, and you can see current domestic production remains well below existing capacity. So to claim that, that we have this shortage or this inability to, to produce more, which, of course, we don't want to see them produce more. We're not looking to see them tap produce. But what, what they're doing yep. is they're, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. All right. The push for the by the API has little to do with the with the crisis in Ukraine. Right. They're just seeing it as a reason to increase prices because they're looking to see increased demand. It's an effort to exploit right. it to undercut long term efforts to transition to clean energy. That's the other thing they're trying to do. Let me put this Twitter in the chat. Um. 
So the fossil fuel industry, so they're they're just trying to essentially allow how the Russians and Ukrainians to drill more. Empowered Putin. Yep. Okay. So okay. Several major fossil fuel companies partnered with Russian state-owned companies to help Putin monetize oil and gas. We know that Rusnaft and and yeah, yeah. Halliburton. API member has not announced any changes to operations in country, and what's uh, the Koch brothers are still operating the country as well. Mm. Well, the way they see it, they they keep saying, "Oh, they, their statement was we don't want to turn over all this equipment, all this technology to Russia and just hand it over to them." And right, kind of understand their point in a way. I mean, they they certainly would have to take huge losses. Um, yeah. Oh, look at this. I get a chance to <laughs> have some fun. So, what? You when, okay? Cong when Congress was constructing new sanctions in response to to Russia's interference with the twenty okay with interference with the twenty sixteen presidential election, allegedly, API lobbied against mm -hmm. the provision that would have banned U.S. businesses from working on international oil projects that involved any sanctioned Russian partners, according to the Wall Street Journal. Mm -hmm. Lobbying by Exxon and other big oil companies as part of a push to preserve potential business relationships with Russia. See that that that's one of the things that they're doing, right? So Judd, Judd is following the money, um, representing companies in the industry that don't want to be blocked from these deals, right? House version allowed oil companies to continue to work on projects even if sanctioned uh, Russian partners had an ownership stake of up to a third. Wow. Yeah. The amended bill appropriately focuses sanctions on the intended target, Russia and its energy firms, rather than inadvertently benefiting Russia at the expense of U.S. companies. Hilarious. That's hmm. that's an interesting needle thread. Although, again, API testified against legislation which aims to stop const uh, construction of the Gazprom-backed Nord Stream 2 that would carry Russian natural gas right. across the Baltic Sea to Germany. So, wait, are they against this? They're against legislation which would try to stop Nord Stream 2. Because we, as a sovereign nation, can't stop a pipeline happening between two countries that want to have it. Right. The bill became law over API's objections. Although Russia was ultimately able to complete the pipeline, Germany shut it down Hmm. after Russia's invasions of Ukraine last month. Because we kept provoking the bear and provoking the bear and provoking the bear. And as the thing was about to go operational and Germany would not certify the pipeline, which was completed and awaiting certification, on top of the fact that, again, Ukraine had been shelling the Donbass region. If they weren't going to let that thing go operational, that's part of what happened here. And that's one of the big things, again, that I didn't mm. think anybody was talking about was the gas pipeline and the impact of what the gas pipeline, were, you know, and the importance of the gas pipeline when it came to this, this action that was started by in this case, you know, the, the, the invasion of, or the yeah. protection well, and why of NATO the was trying to control region. that whole area. Yeah. Right. Yep. So yep. in January for, as Russian forces were amassing API was once again, seeking to weaken the U S response. Okay. Again, because we really have nothing to should have nothing to say about this. This is not up to us. Yeah. The API should have nothing to say over a Russian to, to German natural gas pipeline. I mean, we are not the world's policemen, as you have eloquently said repeatedly. And we're also yep. not like the world's boss. 
So if they want to make a pipeline between their two countries, their sovereign nations, that's going to serve the European market, there's really very little that we can do about that. And to pass legislation about that is ridiculous under cover of, of climate change. Um, what we're really just trying to do right. is stop two countries from operating without our permission. I mean, that that's really the way I see this. It's it's not they're not trying to stop anything to having to do with the environment. It's as hypocritical as can be. Our Congress is doing nothing yeah. else to try to try to help the environment in a lot of ways. So this is what you're doing. No, this is to serve your donors in the American Petroleum Institute. So, yep, it's an interesting angle pointed out by Judd. Um, and since we're talking about natural gas, uh, I guess we should probably skip to and I'll, I'll move over to this last story from Common Dreams that actually did come out today and it was in today's independent left news. And let's go back to a thumbnail for a second and we'll go back. So peace will only come through accelerating the transition to renewable energy, not by trading Russian oligarchs for oil and gas barons, said a Greenpeace campaigner, of course. And, and we agree with that 100%. Um, for sure. So the Department of Energy issued two long-term orders giving a pair of energy projects in Louisiana and Texas additional flexibility to export the addition of almost a billion cubic feet per day of LNG to any country which the U.S. Yeah. does not have a free trade agreement, including all of Europe. Okay. Hmm. So again... Wait, repeat that again. Was this about sending? Yeah, yeah. Was this about selling energy and natural gas to Europe? Because we issued orders giving a pair of Shenyang energy projects in Louisiana and Texas the additional flexibility to right. export the equivalent of three quarters of a billion cubic feet per day of LNG to any country with which the U.S. does not have a free trade agreement, including all of Europe. Right. This is really important. Um, and again, this is having to do with why this war is happening in the first place. It's because of energy. It's because of natural gas. Nice. Like <clears throat> this clown. So we've Should got a clown. We've got a clown in chat. Ah, yeah. We've got a, Don't we've got a never, we've got a never get to the point through. clown. Never gets to the point. Yeah. Peace will only come through accelerating the transition to renewable energy. Agreed. Not by trading Russian oligarchs for American oil and gas barons. Yes. Biden administration's decision to increase gas exports empowers the same big oil companies, right, that are fueling conflicts around the world and are responsible. The API, for example. I'm sure they're just thrilled about this. The conscious choice to double down on global fossil fuel dominance. Agreed. Yeah. Aha! Somebody can cry more. Cry yeah. more. Shortly after Vladimir, last week. Right? Bill McKibben mm -hmm. argued, okay, that Biden should immediately invoke Defense Production Act and get the American manufacturers to start producing electric heat pumps so we can ship them to Europe. Right? Getting away yeah. from fossil fuels and carbon. In the meantime, Biden mm. administration apparently decided to boost gas exports. Yeah. Okay, they're seriously considering the the pump, the, the electric pump thing, which again is still gonna have to burn a ton of coal, a ton of coal, just to get the electric pumps because it's not all hydroelectric power. Okay, U.S. Right. base protect our water, 
tweeted that exporting more gas is not a viable option to solve Europe's energy crisis. Agreed. Okay, but that's certainly what we were looking to do was export was increase our exports. And again, that's one of the things that yeah. that I don't think that enough people were talking about with regard to this war and and why we escalated things, why we pushed escalation, why we continue to feed weapons into the region, why we continue to push against Putin's borders. Okay, right. they underscore the need to electrify everything. Now, again, I, I agree with the move to wind and solar and electric vehicles, uh, as long as that you're not yeah. using coal-burning coal plants to power the electric, that's fine. Um, even, you know, nuclear has, has some issues, but it's still cleaner power than coal-fired as I know. Okay, we already have the technologies we need to end our dependence on gas. All we need is a political will. And we've been hearing this for yep. decades. Right? So decades now. Right. Yep. So DOE like, highlighted like yelling the, that kind of stuff is that, okay. So yeah, Department the of Energy is the excited. They're excited. We get yeah. to grow an additional 20% beyond levels by the end of the year. Woohoo! <laughs> right. Drill, baby, drill. And then on top of that, you have this whole, right, the, the Green New Deal Network declared this week increasing U.S. LNG exports is essential to worsening, right, this is the the capitalization of, of green energy and stuff like that. On top of that, that is, that is almost in some ways a bigger problem. Like, you know, it's funneling money into, you know, dark businesses that don't do exactly what they claim to do. Yep. You know? So we're, we're, we're boned either way in some respects, you know, like, and then on top of that, you have the no amount of like individual action will be able to like, uh, fix the issues of like the entire, like energy, like, uh, monopolies, like they're the ones burning the entire amounts of coal to make sure that your lights are still on. And the military, like, don't forget the military, right? U S military, largest you know, consumer I mean, of energy on the planet. To get self-sustainable for solar, you're gonna have to drop four, four to seven to eight to ten grand, like easy, you know. And, and that's if you don't use a lot of pot. Like it's still expensive. It's still, you know. Yeah, you go with solar like, roof. You go with 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 um, right. composting. <clears throat> I mean, there there are solutions, you know. Yeah. Again, and then there are the, there are the places that are trying to stop rainwater collection. Crazy. Right. Yeah. Or, or stop any of these things like you you know you can't put up a your own like wind turbine because it's going to be a eyesore any of those things like you know they they're going to claim me for animal abuse if i get my army of hamsters to start powering my house you know like none of those things so yeah we and, right. and we have a natural gas backup line to the house which is which is really great um and, and we do run yeah. off of uh off electric power yeah, okay. of our, in our house i've got i've got solar and stuff i'd love to set up wind things like that but that's just expensive yeah like, actually and, the, and even uh, then you the electricity you still need a battery that's ripping fucking lithium out the ground with terrible mining procedures which guess what they're burning to do all that crap you know hamsters so, do turn green especially on saint patrick's day right eric um yep so yep yeah, that's that. That's the the gas tie-in to what's happening in in Ukraine and Russia and us trying to up our exports because, of course, the um, 
and I hope this is working, but uh, on, on Telegram. So, yeah, we want to increase exports. Why? Profitability for private organizations. I mean, it's this is all, again, yep. privatizing the gains. So who's going to end up the beneficiary yep. of this? The shareholders. And who's who, who ends up holding the bag is everybody else. We'll go to the awesome thumbnail that Big Mad Crab made. Again, shout out to Big Mad Crab for the thumbnail. And I'm going to switch the screen over and we'll go back to our main. Let me blow this up a little bit. This is from our friends over at Popular Resistance. And this they they are also an aggregator of independent news and uncorrupted news and unfiltered news. And they found one on a website called Moon of Alabama. That's an excellent, excellent war reporting site. And they've actually been kind of piping through and, and feeding Moon of Alabama as well as a, a host of different... Um, content creators and we like to share popular resistance uh, they also have their own original writers kind of like what we do um they also have their own podcast called clearing the fog with dr margaret flowers so shout out to popular resistance they're a big part of what independent left news does um and they're talking about what's happening in ukraine right now and they are one of the better analysts when it comes to what's happening during the actual war and and looking at um where the where the military situation is closing in again um i am not a military expert i'll be the first one to admit that but i rely on people like this and again this was from march 31st so this is already a few days old and you've got a scott ritter uh chat with vladimir kozin talking about the inf treaty and what its demise means as well as what the second phase is and Again, this map defined of the situation in Ukraine is provided by the French Ministry of Defense, which is interesting. Where where have where has Russia advanced? Right. Okay. Where where are the uh, principal explosions and and fight? Where is the fighting? Where are the fronts? Mm-hmm. Where are the wh- who who's on the offensive? Okay. It comes with short notes about the numbered theaters, which is. Really detailed. Pretty wild. All right. And then Moon of Alabama provides their own analysis. And again, I don't know who these people are, but I've been reading their analysis, and it seems to be pretty damn spot on. Okay. That, that for example, the Russian military operation began with a rather small force of some 150,000-plus men against a larger Ukrainian force of some 400,000. The Russian force used maneuver warfare to fix the larger Ukrainian force into place. It attacked on a large front and threatened major population concentrations, i.e. cities. That's, again, some people would call that uh, in in different ways, you know, targeting civilians. That's not cool. Um, The Russian operation started with the destruction of the Ukrainian command and control network. Over the last four weeks, the Ukrainian Navy, its air forts, its radars, and air defenses, and a huge number of its armored vehicles were destroyed. Again, where are you mm-hmm. seeing this analysis in any kind of Western press? Um, You're not. Right? Throughout the last week, fuel depots all over the Ukraine were, were attacked and destroyed overnight. Ukraine's large ammunition depots are gone. Military production and repair facilities have likewise been destroyed. The Ukraine is no longer able to move the large numbers of troops between the various fronts. Its army has lost its mobility. All right. So it's the beginning of the end for that. All right. So again, you know, when people are saying that 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 you know uh, Russia is losing this war and that 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 
this is a waste. That's not the actual situation. They've committed half the troops that Ukraine has, and they've destroyed all the, the equipment so far. They, if mm -hmm. look, we've been saying if they wanted to to commit full force and take Kiev and take the entire country, they could yeah, have done point. that weeks ago, right? Yeah. Kind of reminds me in a situation of like the U.S. and Baghdad, you know, where <laughs> in a lot of ways, you know, we 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 mm -hmm. could have gone in at any point and and taken it out, but but we didn't. And they've actually weeks. handled it better than than we did, right? In some respects, so, again, threats to Kiev, Odessa, large other Ukrainian cities have held significant numbers of Ukrainian troops in place, prevented reinforcements to move to the east. Therefore, uh, there, units from Donetsk and Luhansk republics attacked the 60,000-strong main force of the Ukrainian army to keep it in place. So this allowed right. Russian forces from Crimea, from Crimea and the Russian border in the north to move into positions that will now enable them to envelop the east. So again, that's, that's looking at what's happening here. So they're getting reinforcements to this area right over here, this is this is the Donbass region. This is Luhansk. This is Donetsk. This is Dobopilia, which apparently has now been been overtaken. You got Crimea down here. All right. Again, mo sadly, most Americans can't identify where this is on a map or any part of the Ukraine. But when you actually study this and you do your homework and you listen to the to yep. different media sources. Right there, there's Romania to right. the left. Right. This is why. This is why Bel Romanians sound like if... they, uh, they, there was a whole thing up in Belarusia. You know, again, so so got to know all this stuff if you're going to talk about this, and and you have to at least know yep. where they are on the map and and about the pipeline that was going to go that, that was going through Ukraine from Russia mm -hmm. to Germany and why that was important. Not to mention, those were all part of one country at one point. Well, they're all part of Russia. Well, like, no, they were all part point. of the the USSR, USSR. which hasn't existed right. since since nineteen ninety one. All right, Russia is not yes. the USSR. Russia is a capitalist yep. oligarchy, and mm -hmm. and runs similar to the United States in that way. Only it's more authoritarian in in some ways and fascist in yep. other ways. They give health care to all their citizens. So, what does that say? Yep. Okay. Um, yep. Shout out to War Deer Warren. How are you, buddy? Good, good to see you tonight. Thank, that, thanks for having me on uh, on Extra Booyah on on Thursday night. That was a lot of fun. We cut loose and talked about independent media and aggregation. So back to the story. Okay, again, there are some some specific points of analysis, and I think these are these are really important. Every one of them, and I I, I hate to read through all the stuff in an article, but this is really important stuff. Right. The move east and west of Kiev was, as they said for a while, a feint to fix mobile Ukrainian units around their capital city. The feint is no longer needed as the Ukrainian army has now lost its mobility. The okay, Russian troops right, around Kiev and Chernigov uh, will mostly be withdrawn probably up to Chernobyl, where a part of them may take defensive positions while most of the units deployed around Kiev uh, will, will be moved back to Belarus and Russia for new operations in eastern Ukraine. Okay, the next point, okay. fighting around Kharkiv is ongoing. Uh, Ukrainian counterattacks on that front have failed, and the next phase of the war will see increased activities there. And at the move on west side of the, I'm not even, the Dnieper River, the and I'm sorry, to, river. I'm sorry if I butchered, butchered that. that. 
Okay, Jennifer. What? Uh, uh, again, I I don't know how to pronounce that, so I'm not gonna I'm gonna butcher it. Um, towards the important industrial uh, area of Creviri and onto Dnipro. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It's been relatively slow. See this this on it. The move on the mm-hmm. eastern side has been at the same speed. Note that the western and eastern parts on these fronts are at the same level. They're well coordinated. And the next phase will probably see more movement on the eastern side of the river. I mean, step by yeah. step, set, you know, front by front analysis. Still a few pockets of Azov fighters in Mariupol with main units mm-hmm. encircled in vast Azov style steelworks. Little food and ammunition. And the Chechen units of the Russian army and National Guard are working to dig them out. Russian forces that encircled and stored Mariupol are now freed up and will be moved to attack further north. So again, this is not not boding well for Ukrainians, and this is what Aaron Mate and what um, Scott Ritter I know have been yeah. talking about has basically you've served up the entire Ukrainian army as cannon fodder and some of the Ukrainian yeah. people, which is really sad and and frustrating and unnecessary in a lot of ways. Um, yep, especially when fuckers knew from yeah. the get go that their things weren't going to get like accepted so when when russia's only pretty much only request is to not join nato yep that i like, moved to, i moved it down okay uh then again we have ukrainian forces at at mikhail uh have attempted counterattacks in the count in the direction of Kherson. these have also failed so it doesn't add up to to doing well um <clears throat> Um. Yeah, Russian command now decides right. to concentrate on enveloping to the next front. Okay, these are the most heavy equipped, experienced units of the Ukrainian army since last fall. Some sixty thousand men have been arranged there for a full fledged war, but also mm-hmm. they're also preparing because the Russians had been building up their front to one hundred fifty thousand men <clears throat> on that yeah. in that region in that area that they had to build up just just to be for protective measures so right. uh, probably take a few days for the russian forces to regroup and resupply for the next phase i expect it to start around the end of this week that's that's not i okay. but but the writer here moon of alabama yeah. again this is this is really in-depth detail okay the denazification of ukraine has proven to be more dis- more difficult main fascist units of the azov regiment were caught up in mariupol where several thousand of them have been or will be eliminated. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying killed. More fascist units yep. at, Don, at the Donetsk front will also be taken out, but during the eight years since the U.S. managed anti-democratic coup in Kiev, the fascist ideology has deeply infiltrated all Ukrainian government structures. It's a hydra. All right, It'll be hard for Ukrainians to remove it, even as its failures become obvious. In a lot of ways, it, it kind of feels like like what's going on within the the Democratic and Republican Party? Like no matter what, you're going to have yep. corporate infiltration until mm-hmm. you pass laws that say that they can't do that anymore. All right, and again, there is this is from the Saker. Is an article about the infiltration and some of the Donbas commanders and people who are Azov Battalion and and Nazis. Not neo-Nazis, actual Nazis. Uh, I hope I don't close everything right here. Nope, thank goodness. 
Ooh. All right, breathe. Um, again, anything beyond that depends on the willingness of the U.S. proxy government in Kiev to submit to Russia's demands, which doesn't look like they're doing so far. Russia can leave it at that or continue to mow the rest until none is left, unfortunately. And again, we don't want to see war. We are anti-war. We are not pro-Russia. Um, we we don't want to see fighting or anybody being killed, and this is unnecessary provocation on the U.S.'s part. Uh, again, because we did not want to see the... Um, we did not want to see the... Um, the, the gas pipeline go operational for um yeah between Russia and Germany that that Nord Stream 2 was absolutely critical to to US interest to to not have it go live so um that really is the crux of of why this happened on top of the fact that we kept pushing further and further and further east towards Russia's border with NATO even though they we had told Ukraine, they'd never be part of NATO and told them to keep that quiet. Um, again, shout out to Moon of Alabama for excellent analysis. <clears throat> I was watching <clears throat> watching Hinkle live last night for a few minutes after I watched Beauty and the Boomer. And shout out to Oz in, in the chat for both helping and supporting Tar Reed and independent streamers, as well as putting on a great show last night. Um, so, yeah, uh, I was watching Hinkle last night and somebody suggested... A, to watch Moon of Alabama and, and see if we can, you know, start to bring some of their analysis into his uh, realm, as well as um, talking about uh, the the Duran and Alex, uh, Alex, Alex Christopheru and who's the other guy, the other Alex, uh, he Alexander Mercurius, who had a video mm. in today's Leftist.today. So, again, shout out to Popular Resistance for covering it. Shout out to Moon of Alabama for writing it. And, uh, again, it's terrible to see what's happening, but we do need to understand what actually is happening. So, Who are these people? Hey, there we go. I would, so, I would definitely zoom that in. Yeah, we're going to have to zoom that in. And this is, uh, let me tell you, I did a story, we did a story on Moon of Alabama, Alabama, um, I don't know, about three weeks ago. And we talked about their yeah. OPSEC stuff that they had called and how they were just spot on with their coverage. And that has gotten so many different, uh, so many views on the clip especially like wow uh, i was like we need we need to do more moon of alabama stuff because that they got fire they got great and great analysis and people seem to like it so uh by all means uh good stuff moon of alabama and here we are again so russia has launched phase two of its operation in ukraine and this was mm -hmm. an open thread uh number 51 and some of the weapons delivered to Ukraine will be used against us. This was on April 20th. So this is on 420. And I think even Richard Medhurst may have done an article about this, but that the U.S. and its proxies in Europe are moving an enormous amount of weapons into Ukraine, but no one has an idea where those weapons will end up. It is likely that many of those will proliferate outside of the Ukraine, and some of those weapons will inevitably hit those who will now deliver them. <laughs> 
I'm laughing, but it, yeah. it's no laughing matter. It's just really serious, and because we have no control over what 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 these where these things are going, and we're just handing them out to to Nazis willy nilly. Hey, thanks, thanks, Joe. In a review of the U.S. war on Syria, Aaron Mate de details. Oh, Aaron Mate details how the Obama Biden team empowered terrorist networks in Syria, right? Which is based on declassified documents, news reports, and scattered admissions of. Uh, admissions of U.S. officials, this overlooked history of how the Obama-Biden team's effort to oust the Assad regime in concert with allies including Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and Turkey details a series of di uh, discrete decisions that ultimately led the U.S. to empower terrorist networks bent on its destruction. And I'm guessing they're talking about like Al-Qaeda and Al-Nusra. Um, yeah. And, and some of the, the rebels in in Syria, um, the U.S. pushed an enormous amount of weapons into Syria. Those weapons did not end up with the moderate rebels the U.S. propaganda had elevated, but in the hands of the most ideologically committed and most brutal brutal actors on the ground. That's great. So again, you've even got just one month after Benghazi, New York Times reported that hardline Islamic jihadists, including groups with ties or affiliations to Al Qaeda, have received the lion's share of the arms. So. That was shipped to Syria. That's great. Thank, thanks, guys. So, in a repeat of that strategy, the U.S. is currently pushing an enormous amount of weapons as well as mercenaries into Ukraine. The problem is, again, that it's not going to end up in their hands. The bigger stuff it delivers no. is not much of a concern, but the huge amount of small arms and small ammo, the anti-tank weapons, right. and the handheld anti-air systems are of the serious long-term danger. Yep. These fit into yep. a car trunk. They could easily be spilled across borders. Okay. Yep. Previously explained, right-wing ideology that is nurtured in Ukraine will become a danger primarily to, to European countries, but also beyond. And here we go. Whitney Webb writes, CIA is creating the new Al-Qaeda, this time as a white supremacist right-wing right -wing militia. And Whitney Webb is as good as they come. Love her. Shout out to Whitney. Okay. In fact, the moon of Alabama is citing and using Whitney's research in their work tells me a lot. And it's a lot why probably it's getting the views that it's getting and why they're accurate with their analysis. But a part of these mercenaries are currently getting recruited by Western security companies, quote unquote security, right? These are private, you know, these are the, the Eric Prince run Blackwater XO private military contractors that do the same exact thing, but charge us three times as much for ex-military yep. with no, with, with not yep. as, with, with no oversight from Congress either, by the way. Um, yeah, these militia will all use the small weapons NATO countries uh, that, that NATO countries are now delivering to Ukraine or to attack Russian troops and their supporters. And of course, there's a lot of serious backlashes in Poland and Romania, where these from where these troops get deployed. In the long run, it'll come back. It'll lead to right wing terror coming back to these countries. We're now supporting these forces. And again, there's a lot of right wing uh, extremism right now going on in Poland. I know there's like a ten percent of their, I think. Stuff is neo-Nazi. It's like kind of scary. Um, okay, hashtag win Bruce. Okay, together with the economic devastation that U.S. and European sanctions on Russia are causing on their own economies, this will end in regime changes in several European countries. That's right. The U.S. is, of course, again protecting itself uh, from as much as it can at the cost of others. And again, if Poland gets destabilized, that's bad for us. But 
we're fighting, you know, this, this is the proxy war, and these are the sacrifices that our government, unfortunately, is willing to make, is to have yeah. the citizens get so angry at their leaders that they sided with us and backed this action that they end up throwing out their government and putting in a hardline right-wing government that's aligned with the Nazis in Ukraine, which is just, what? Wow. Um, uh, if there's a lesson to be learned from Syria... Is that the most ideologically committed and most brutal people on the ground will not only proliferate their ideology into, uh, will not only proliferate them into other countries, they're also the groups with which inevitably end up holding the most dangerous weapons. They'll give some to those groups in other countries, which will have the same ideology. Fascist groups in Ukraine are yeah. not a Russian propaganda invention or just nationalist. Again, citing back 2018, even the NATO lobbyists at the Atlantic Council, and we know all about the Atlantic Council, called them a dangerous threat. All right, and this again is the Atlantic Council's assessment from 2018. Over the last eight years in those groups, Ukraine have had lots of contacts with similar groups in other countries. They've invited foreigners to fight with them on the front line with Donbass republics. These are potential buyers for the weapons that are now being delivered to Ukraine. So the U.S. has no idea who ends up with the tens of thousands of weapons it is now providing. And again, this says the U.S. has few ways to track the substantial supply of anti-tank, anti-aircraft, and other weaponry is sent across the border to Ukraine. Sources tell CNN, a blind spot that's due in large part to a lack of U.S. boots on the ground in country. See what they're trying to do? Oh, well, we can't track mm -hmm. the weapons, so we have to send soldiers in there to track the weapons? Because that's what U.S. soldiers are good at doing. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, okay, I mean, so it's... it's and, th and that's just going to be an excuse to put U.S. troops in there anyway. Like, yep. you know... Well, we're already in, they're already so, in Poland and rolling... Uh, what's, what's his right. name with him? Uh, <laughs> Malcolm Nance. Or, oh, yeah. Or or as Daryl or INN brother calls him, Rambro. Almost, I, I fell over when he said that shit. Rambro. Outstanding. Okay. Uh, I couldn't tell you where they are in Ukraine or whether Ukrainian officials are using them at this point. That's really good to know. Okay. They're not telling us every round of ammunition they're firing and at whom and when. They may never know exactly to what degree they've been using the switchblades. Of course not. Yeah. But trucks loaded with pallets of arms provided by the DOD are picked up by Ukrainian armed forces, primarily in Poland, and then driven across the border. And then... It's up to the Ukrainians to determine where they go and how they're allocated inside their country. And they said one cannot trust Ukrainian officials who claim that these weapons will only be used for good purposes. Yeah, we can see how, how good, you know, they are when they get tied to, when they've been saran wrapping people to telephone poles with their asses hanging out. Getting them green, yep. Yeah. You know, uh, it's a war. Everything they do and say publicly is designed to help them win the war. Every public statement is an information operation. Every interview, every Zelensky appearance broadcast is an in information operation, said another source familiar with Western intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. It is an information war. So, again, Zelensky constantly demands more weapons, and no one has an idea where they'll end up. How will he, how will he himself set aside to later sell and We'll buy those. Well, how many? Well, yeah. I mean, look, because right. you know, he's his wealth has increased tremendously. Um, so for sure, yeah, javelins have come home to roost. Is will be a headline. Oh goodness, I hope not. Um, 
You know, the experience from the war on Syria tells us the weapons that fell off a truck in Ukraine will eventually end up in the most ideologically committed, most brutal people in Ukraine. Those are the fascists. Some international criminals, gangs may want to eliminate rivals who might also be interested. How long will it take until a switchblade suicide drone will drop on a police car in Poland? How long until an anti-tank weapon will be used in a gang fight in Paris? How long until a Stinger anti-tank anti-air missile will, be, will down a civil airplane in Rome? One, three, five years? Yep. It's now a danger we're all going to be living with. Thanks, Joe. Keep arming the fucking Nazis and keep sending weapons willy-nilly across the border and handing it to these guys with no idea where it's going to go or how it's going to be distributed. Great work, everybody. Woohoo! USA, USA. Uh. Here, here's more manufacturing consent, and this is actual receipts. Now, if I remember correctly, Russell Bentley uh, is an American reporter, and he had an appearance on the Gray Zone pretty recently, and. Now I hmm. find him in Covert Action Magazine, and he's actually on the ground in Ukraine. So this is going to be a fascinating perspective, um, looking at exactly what is being published in different outlets and taking a look at what's the actual case and what what's really happening here. So, um, again, the writer here is Russell Bentley. So what Russell says is that there's an old wise maxim that says, the first step on the road to wisdom is to call things by the right name. So let's do that. Fake news has been around a long time. So the New York Sun's Great Moon Hoax of 1835 is a good and amusing example. An absolute falsehood and fantasy yep. was published as a fact of to a credulous public who ate it up. And the Sun claimed that life existed on the moon. Hey, I didn't even know about this. And here's the story about the inhabitants of the moon. This fake news story. Of Wait, go back. Go ahead. Go back. I'm Oops. just like, I, I just want to like take a minute to like soak in this image you know yeah sorry and like the grainy like uh <laughs> is that a bear in the background on the right is that a little bear guy what um, is that I, I you know i is that a child uh he's, it looks like he's got a beard I don't know. so it's, i don't know it I looks don't... like a family of bears it, oh i do see that like over by the over by the water like it does look like a family right, of like bears the little huts back there the little, yep. the little right in front of the huts yeah yeah yep. okay that's pretty interesting yep. so so the, oh so humans and bears living alongside each other mass hysteria so this <laughs> fake news story you're sorry go ahead <laughs> this fake news story established his son as a major and highly profitable newspaper throughout the united states 50 years later, Hearst and Pulitzer were competing for each other, with each other for readership by publishing preposterous and sensationalist phony stories that became known as yellow journalism, or as, <laughs> as Russell calls it, urinalism. That's pretty urinalism. funny. Urinalism. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Because the media that will uh -huh. publish such swill and the hacks who, will write, who write for them are fit only for cleaning toilets, but... Those carefree days are long in the past, and fake news is no longer funny. The pot, the practice of publishing false stories, right, for political and or finan financial motives, has probably been around much longer than that. But today, it's been elevated to science and an art form, a black art form, that is truly one of the greatest threats to the future of humanity in the world today. 
It is mass brainwashing on a global scale, abetted by science and technology on a, a war on human consciousness, a concentrated and deliberate attack on people's ability to see reality and discern fact from lies. It is a war against the truth. Yep. Okay. It's been correctly said that a respect for the truth is the basis for all morality. So a war against the truth is a war against morality, against all that is good and decent. Okay, without an ability to see reality and detect lies, without a moral compass, people are literally no more than dumb beasts, mules to be worked and exploited by their owners or sheep to be led to the slaughter. Fake news is a term a bit too cute Fake and cozy news. for the black art of intentionally erasing the very intellect and morality that makes us human. It seeks to dumb down and degrade humanity to the point where people are no longer human, and that point is fast approaching, and for many, is already here. And he's going to give three concrete and irrefutable examples of genuine Nazi propaganda produced by the West, e U.S. and Europe, about the war in Ukraine in just the last month, which not only attempt to cover up the crime of intentional mass murder attacks on civilians, but, for, but go further still and attempt to blame the actual victims for the crimes of the U.S., EU, and Ukrainian Nazis. You will see by these three indisputable examples how information is used as a truly evil weapon, how to defend against it, and how to destroy it with the truth. That's why I thought this was really important to bring up. So here's a photo, okay, okay where they're using emotionally charged images. The carnage, la stampa. That's what the, uh, the translation stand, uh, translates to, the carnage. The Italian newspaper La Stampa published the photo above on March 15th showing a horrific scene in, at the mass murder of civilians by illegal cluster munitions delivered to a city center by a ballistic missile. Some 24 civilians, including an entire family with two kids, were murdered and dozens more gravely injured. It's, it's a terrible story. The headlines in red across the top. Russia kills 400 in Mariupol. Kiev prepares for Russian attack. I think I actually cropped that out in order to save space. That was actually in between. Mm. Uh, sorry about that. Gotcha. Emblazoned across the photo, the carnage. The photo is real, and while the headlines are intentionally misleading, they're not outright lies. They don't have to be. The liars at La Stampa don't actually have to lie. Most Europeans, like most U.S. citizens, lead busy lives. They don't look beyond the headlines, and they're easily deceived by nothing more than in insinuations. And propagandists like those at La Stampa know it. I could tell you that the photo actually shows the results of a Ukrainian army war crime by a Tochka U missile that was intentionally launched at Donetsk city center around 12 o'clock noon, Monday, March 14th, that in fact it was intended to kill many times more than the 24 civilians who were murdered. La Stampa misread its leaders by failing to report on the right city where the attacks were launched, a city, Donetsk, that Ukraine, and not Russia, has been shelling for eight years. I could also tell you that the weekend before, fake Ukrop, which is Ukrainian Association of Patriots, uh, troll accounts on Russian and other social media spread false stories that the Democratic People's Republic, the DPR administration, would be giving news about the status of DPR soldiers at 12.30 on March 14th at the administration building in central Donetsk, and wives, mothers, soldiers, and daughters, uh, daughters of soldiers, should come there then. They invited the people to where they sent the missile. 
Jesus Christ. This message was also sent by text message to specific phones of female family members of soldiers by spoofed DPR administration accounts. He can confirm it. The daughter of one of his friends serving at the front showed him the exact message on her phone. He could tell you the missile was intercepted by DPR air defense and only two canisters of cluster bomb submunitions actually detonated when they hit about 500 meters from the administration building on University Avenue in central Donetsk and had the missile reached its target, the death toll would have been in the hundreds. Maybe you would believe me. Maybe some would not. But I can show you two photos that prove it. Here's the first one where he's standing in the same spot as the grieving husband in La Stampa photo. You can see that, that there's the, the flowers in the spot. The beret and the scarf of the grieving man's wife. Oh. She died right there. Look at this. They, the blood's still on the pavement. Now, what do you think of La Stampa's work? Not only trying to cover up the intentional mass murder of civilians, but blaming the victims and their defenders for the very crime. Now, again, let me go back. He's standing in the very same spot, and that is in Donetsk, not in... Right. Not where they say it is, which is right. where, where the massacre occurred. Is it Mariupol, where the, where the massacre occurred, where they were talking about? I okay, think so. I think this is the saying. spot. So, not only trying to cover up the intentional mass murder of civilians, but blaming the victims and their defenders for the very crimes of the Nazis that La Stampa and Italy support. This is a black lie, a damn lie, literally the exact opposite of the truth, and the vast majority of Western citizens lap up these lies. Jesus. And FYI, the photographer who took the heart-rending photo... La Stampa stole, was neither paid nor credited or even asked permission to use his photo for this Italian version of Nazi propaganda. And it may not even be knowingly per perpetrating Nazi propaganda, but that's what it ends up perpetrating. Well, as you might say, it's also, it's an isolated incident. Mistakes happen, but it is neither an isolated incident nor a mistake. The editors of La Stampa knew exactly where the photo was from and what it showed, and they used it intentionally to lie. And pseudo-journalists do the same thing in the USA. Yep. Here's another one. Example two. Russia continues bombardment of Ukrainian cities for the New York Post, which is, I believe, a, a Rupert Murdoch-owned rag. Again, yep. but an, an even more blatant intention to mislead the lie to lie. The photo again is the aftermath of a Ukrainian missile attack on a civilian residential area of Donetsk, not far from my home in Petrovsky district. That's the building. He's going to show you where, okay. where that building is. He's going to walk over to that building. Another terrorist attack by Ukrop Nazis against civilian targets blamed by U.S. Nazi propagandists on DPR and Russian defenders of the very civilians in Ukrop's attacked and murdered. Can I prove it? Well, yes, I can. Here I am in front of the exact same apartment building hit by the Ukrop Nazi missiles. An honest headline would read, Ukraine continues bombardment of Donbass cities. Okay. The New York Post, however, did not specify the city where the building was located that they, that they put and that it had been, and suggested that it had been bombed by Russia 
when it had actually been been bombed by the Ukrainian DPR. But these Nazi propagandists do not stop at simply blaming their victims for their own crimes. That dirty double cross is not as low as they can go, not by a long shot. They even, in a transatlantic quadruple cross conspiracy, connive to discredit truthful reports by adding their own logo to Honest News and then announcing to the world that the report is not theirs. Behold. This is the railway attack thing. <clears throat> right? Right. So this is The Guardian, I believe. BBC warns of fake video mm -hmm. claiming Ukraine carried out the attack. The video mocked up with BBC News logo has been aired on Russian state TV and spread across social media. The BBC has warned that a video carrying its branding in which it, it is claimed that a missile attack on a railway station that killed dozens of people was carried out by Ukraine is fake. Wait, what? On April 8th, the Tochka U, and I think we've all seen this picture. I think they're gonna he's gonna show it in a minute. Uh, the same type used at the university mm -hmm. attack three weeks before was fired at the, the railway station, right? Doesn't as four thousand local civilians waited to evacuate the city before fighting broke out. This was blamed on Russia. I remember this very clearly. Some fifty-seven civilians were killed, hundred and nine wounded, and another wanton attack that had no military purpose but fit hand-in-glove with the usual false flag terror attacks for which Ukraine has become well-known. The proof was and is overwhelming. There is zero doubt that this missile was a Chochka U and that it came from Ukrainian-held territory. Ukraine continues to use Chochka U missiles in the Donbass war, while the Donbass republics have none, and Russia retired the last of theirs years ago in 2019 in favor of the much more effective and accurate Iskander which Russia, Russia has used in Operation Z. This is right. the photo that Russell took. And again, right. I think we've all seen a similar type of photo with the writing on the side. He's going to talk about that. Written on the side of the missile, Russian, the missile in Russian were the words for the kids. Translated. How stupid would someone have to be to believe that the Russians would not only commit a war crime against the ethnic Russian Ukrainian citizens from the pro-Russian part of Ukraine, but would blatantly add insult to injury and literally implicate themselves before the world by writing something so despicable in Russian for the world to see? Mm -hmm. Furthermore, their scientific methods of determining the direction a missile came from, including the shape of the crater and where the tail section lands in relation to the warhead. These methods are standard, simple, and used by all militaries around the world. And like the laws of physics, they apply everywhere and in every situation the same. In the photo below, showing the trajectory of the missile fired at Kamarovsk. Okay, everything to the left of the red line is territory under the control of the Ukrainian military. Right. Everything okay. to the right is what the is is the Russian advancement and the Russian front. So, if the missile guidance and all the trajectory shows that it came from here and i'm showing this map mm -hmm. to everybody who's listening on the podcast so you can go check this out both on the article and the article link will be in the description notes uh or you can also go to the sub stack and the article link will be there as well from okay scott Ritter's twitter too right that was from scott ritter okay who yeah. again shows where the trajectory was 
that for a full listing of the evidence that proves the missile was fired by the 19th Ukrainian Missile Brigade based near Dropia, uh, Dropolia, uh, some 45 kilometers from Kramatorsk. <clears throat> this excellent article by Scott Ritter. Okay, there are plenty of other articles too, and he links to those, listing the proof and indications that this was a Ukrop false flag attack on their own civilians. Here are some examples. Number one is the smell test. Why would Russians attack ethnic Russian civilians in an area known for its broad support of Russia? That wants to speak Russian. I mean, and by the know. way, that Ukrainians just outlawed their Russian-speaking language. The fake for the kids That's inscription. That's a far better smell test than the one done at Duma, so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it smells like, uh, smells like chlorine, like, like a swimming pool, right? <laughs> um, that's just stunningly unbelievable. So the fake for the kids inscription would be the last thing the Russians would ever do. Rocket troops were among the most highly trained and disciplined in any army. If the Russians were going to commit a war crime against civilians, do you really think they would sign their work for the world to see? On top of the fact that, and I was going to say that a missile uh, go boom, <laughs> usually, they don't expect that a fragment that size is going to remain, that they can, uh, that they can, Read that. Okay, again, the physical evidence proves right. that the trajectory of the missile, and that trajectory points directly to the Drobopolio, uh, Drobopolia, deep inside Ukrainian-held territory, where the 19th Ukrainian Missile Brigade is based. It's impossible for the Russians to have fired a missile from there, unless they had taken over that territory. Right. Number four, that they had retired their age stock of Tochka U missiles years ago. Number five, that they still have, that the Ukrainians still have and use those same missiles and have done so on multiple occasions throughout the eight-year Donbass war. So this just kind of breaks it down step right. by step. Look at the serial number of the missile, and it's the same series and numerically very close to the serial numbers of other Tochka U missiles that have been known to have been fired by Ukrainian armed forces during the Donbass war in the last eight years. And again, we've got eight years of history of looking at these attacks. Number seven is the exact serial number found on the missile in the in the train station was recorded in official documents as having been transferred from the USSR to Ukraine in 1991. No wonder why it didn't go boom. It did, but not completely. Yeah. It's a it's a a 32 year old missile. Right. And a, there is zero evidence that would support any theory other than a Ukrainian false flag attack on the civilians of Kramatorsk. None. Zero. And I I haven't heard any other than them saying that there was. That is a tough nut for the West pro-Nazi propagandists to crack. All the evidence proves they did it beyond any reasonable doubt, and there's no credible evidence of any sort that would support an alternative theory. So what do they do? They simply make things up, of course, as usual, but with a twist. This time they make up fake news about themselves and try to palm it off as Russian-produced disinformation. Thus we see real first-person on-the-scene videos of the real aftermath of the attack, video of the real serial number all edited together, but with a fake BBC intro and the logo added, and then spread all over the internet with the caption, look, the BBC finally told the truth for once. Wow. So the professional liars can subsequently now debunk the fake BBC video, along with the real facts the actual videos contain. 
And then literally all Western propaganda outlets smear the story about the fake video all over the web. The search phrase BBC fake video, fake video missile Kramatorsk brings back 55,000 links on Google, 24 million on Bing, and a whopping 25 million results on Yahoo. The Western propagandists claim that the Russians added the fake BBC logo, but why would Russia discredit real proof of what happened by adding a fake BBC logo? The BBC has a well-earned reputation as one of the most mendacious media outlets in the world. Their lies are legion. So why would Russia discredit itself and its own compelling evidence by adding a fake logo of known propagandists? Answer, they didn't. An understanding of the simple fact that modern Western media are the product and descendants of Joseph Goebbels and Ed Bernays is the appropriate foundation for regarding anything regarding uh, Western media presents as fact. Do not expect the BBC to tell the truth for once. Do not expect paid and pathological liars to tell the truth even once. Do not expect the leopard to change its spots. Understand that they are the enemies of truth and morality, the enemies of humanity, your enemies, who do everything in their power to deceive and confuse you in order to enslave you. Respect for the truth is the basis of all morality. Respect and defend it. Um, yep. Again, we talk about man and Bernays. This is the second article that mentioned Bernays. Okay, and and the last one also talked about um, uh, Walter Lippmann, another propagandist from the sixties, fifties, and sixties, uh, even from the Kennedy yep. days. Okay, so here's an addendum that was written. Uh, the log the list of logical fallacies is an excellent primer of modern propaganda techniques. But when used by professional liars intentionally, they are no longer fallacies, but rather lies, attacks on truth and reality, and on human consciousness. I, I wanted to include this part. This is the end of it. Fritz Hippler explained that the secret of modern propaganda, and he would know, okay, he was the chief of filmmaking in the Reich industry, a Reich ministry of public enlightenment and propaganda during the years of the Nazi Germany. So as he put it, quote, the secret of propaganda is to simplify complex or complicated things, to make them as simple as possible, so even less ingenious men can understand what I mean, and then repeat it, repeat it, repeat it every day. That's the secret of modern pop propaganda. Simplify and repetition. Click on the link, see and hear, hear and see him say it himself. He's very convincing. And a lot of this honestly also leads me to think about a barking seal clown that wants to get back into the White House. Uh, a lot of that propaganda stuff, rep repetition, fake news, fake news, mega. Very, very similar in a lot of ways. Um, so that's our manufacturing consent portion. Uh, and I figured it. This is from our friend over. Uh, overseas Eva Bartlett. Um, the West is silent as Ukraine targets civilians in Donetsk using banned pedal mines. What? How is this possible? So mm -hmm. this was actually published. She publishes on, on RT, but she also put it on her own in Gaza and beyond. And she's showing here, these are what these pedal mines look like. And I'll show you a couple more. She's got a couple more pictures in here as well. And she writes an article about that. On Saturday, July 30th, just after 9 p.m., thunderous explosions rocked central Donetsk shortly after there were announcements that air defense 
had shot down uh, Ukrainian-fired missiles containing pedal mines. That, given that over 300 of these explosives are packed into each of the Ukrainian-fired rockets, Central Donetsk could literally become a minefield if they successfully landed. And social media telegram warnings urge residents to stay inside, wait for emergency services, to clear the streets, which they began doing throughout the night. But come daylight, untold numbers of these tiny devices still remain. More warnings were issued to stay at home. Better to be late for work than lose a leg. Residents that absolutely have to go out are advised to keep their eyes down, watch where they step, avoid grassy areas, and walk extremely carefully. Wow. Okay, and here she's showing just some of the pictures of, of, of spots that were identified and uh, several groups of mines. While Ukraine has been using these mines on Donbass for many months, in recent days, they've intensely bombarded neighborhoods with them. Initially targeted with, with the hard-hit uh, districts of Kievsky in the north, Kurovsky in the southwest, and Kubyshevsky in the in the west. I'm butchering that probably, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it. But as of Saturday night, Ukraine hammered Central Donetsk with them too. Happy birthday, Anthony, by the way. And now walking in the city center is yeah, is, is a nightmare, one that Eva herself has personally had to endure how widespread these mines are in central streets and walkways, near apartments, in parks. I know and, Lip talked about seeing them too. Yep. Um, All right, and um, and I think uh, George George also, Eliasson also talked about that. Mm -hmm. All right, so yep. as it turns out, the pedals were not only are not only widespread, but also uh, often very difficult to spot, even if warning signs have been placed right next to them. Their small shape, dull color, blends in with surroundings, and if you aren't actively looking at the spot you're in, you could easily miss them. When walking, you could learn you learn to avoid any objects that could be covering a mine and tread only on bare streets or sidewalks, which is sad. <clears throat> the first yeah, bunch of mines that, that she saw were circled in chalk, Warning sign placed in front of uh, to keep cars from driving over them. People stepping from uh, from stepping on them. All right, this was on a central to next street, a residential area with shops and a park nearby. Why weren't they cleared? The entire area was littered with the pedals. DPR sappers worked methodically, clearing area by area. But given that hundreds of the mines were dropped all over the city, this is painstaking work. Yeah, they need like explosives crews. So she, this was again on August 1st, uploaded these videos in two parts of what, what the soldiers are doing in clearing the area of the pedal mines. Near some apartment blocks, numerous mines have been found and warning signs to uh, had been put out. Danger, mines, and it said that by the tiny explosive circle with chalk or a tire or whatever was available to draw the eye to its presence. But on many occasions, looking at the area designated as containing a mine, it took me a good while to actually see it. Now, imagine if there were no signs at all, a bloodbath for civilians and animals, too, since it doesn't take significant weight to set them off. So what is a pedal mine? Well, it's around the size of an average cigarette lighter. The pedals are tiny, but still very powerful. A clip shared on Telegram illustrates this. A DPR soldier chucks a tire at one of the mines, and the tire is flung high in the air from the blast. It doesn't take a powerful imagination to estimate what would happen if a person stepped foot on one of them. The explosive are placed via remote delivery methods, meaning they can be spread by mortar, missile, or artillery, dropped by helicopters and planes. 
That's literally how big they are. Yep. <clears throat> okay. According to DPR Emergency Services, Ukraine is using Hurricane MLRS-fired rockets to spread the mines. Each contains 12 cluster munitions. Each cluster has 26 mines inside. So each bomb has 312 mines. The cluster explodes in the air, disseminating them widely, scattering them in different directions. Their butterfly-like design enables them to glide and land without exploding, usually. Then they lie and wait for someone with bad luck to step on them. Mm. Some of these anti-personnel mines have a self-destruct timer. Others, including the ones Ukraine is firing, have a years-long shelf life. They do pretty much no damage to military vehicles, and therefore their use in Donbass is insidious, deliberately targeting civilians to leave them maimed. On July 30th, in a densely inhabited working-class district of western Donetsk, in a field with garden plots for nearby apartment residents, Eva herself saw the same nefarious mines. Originally scattered, they had been collected and awaited destruction by DPR emergency services. In the large courtyard of an apartment complex, she watched from a safe distance as, as emergency services timer detonated eight mines they had found around the grounds. The day prior, they had destroyed 26. Another 150 were, were, were located and destroyed using a radio-controlled minesweeper. But there remains much to be done to restore the streets and courtyards to safety. So since the mines were scattered on Saturday evening in the DPR representative office at the JCCC, has created an interactive map showing the areas most contaminated by the mines, giving residents a general warning of which areas to avoid while walking or driving in. While some cars have been lucky enough to only have a tire blown out, were the mine to detonate near the gas tank, the entire vehicle could explode. Of course. Yeah. <clears throat> Multiple civil civilians have been killed by these mines since they were scattered over Donetsk, and even now, wounded civilians are still coming to the city's hospitals. According to Vadim Onoprienko, yeah, the deputy director of a trauma surgery center, 10 amputations have been performed over the last week. Victims of Saturday's mines and ones that have been dropped earlier, one of whom was an 83-year-old man. Jesus. Now, who's doing this? Well, unfortunately, all evidence, according to Eva here, points to Ukraine. So pro-Ukrainian commentators are unsurprisingly blaming Russia. Journalists claiming to care about civilians are perpetuating Ukrainian propaganda, saying that Moscow's forces are scattering the mines over civilian areas, never mind the fact that these territories are controlled by Russia's allies. So why would they? Among them is the yeah. would-be war hero, the would-be war hero, Malcolm Nance. <laughs> uh who temporarily abandoned his job as a notoriously anti-Russian MSNBC analyst to apparently actually fight the Russians in Ukraine. Oh, God. G.I. Bro, if I remember correctly, is, is our brother Daryl at, at INN, Black in the Empire, called him. Okay. So, here's butterfly mines. These toy-colored mines are designed to mean you by popping off toes or a foot. This was another war crime. Right. He's lying. Oh, Malcolm just... Uh, yes, of course he is. Right. It's Ukraine um, dropping them. And orcs? Come on, Nance. At least pretend to be a decent human. Right. Orcs. Okay. This is the yeah. kind of projection that she's seen ad nauseum when reporting from Syria and dealing with Western propaganda there. Okay. Ukrainian nationalists openly admit that they do not see the Donbass people as human and encourage their murder. Ukraine has been killing and maiming citizens in the Donetsk and Lugansk 
People's Republic for eight, for over eight years, including firing cluster munitions at the heart of cities, targeting hospitals, markets, schools, busy streets. Even all this scattering butterfly mines over Donetsk, it's hardly surprising. It's criminal, but not surprising. So one argument used by pro-Ukrainian commentators is that Kiev has been destroying these mines under the Anti-Personnel Mine Ban Convention, which it signed in 1999. However, out of the 6 million such mines they initially declared in its possession, only 2 million have reportedly been destroyed as of 2018. So, uh. so here again is uh, th this Nina, a blue check, the EU and, and NATO were helping U Ukraine destroy its pedal mine stockpiles as part of EU. Look how well that went with Donbass suffering these from these for eight years. And again, right there, they're talking about that, right? But then, how how are they getting there? Russia's not making these pedal mines. They're not appearing no. from anywhere else. <laughs> so... Ukraine has good reason to believe that it will not be held accountable for using them against civilians, given its Western backers and their allies' penchant for using prohibited weapons on civilians without repercussions, including Agent Orange in Vietnam, depleted uranium in Iraq and Syria, yep. and white phosphorus and dart bombs in Gaza. White phosphorus. Mm -hmm. Oh, the dart bombs are fucking anyway. Yep. Yep. And the fact that Western media turns a blind eye is also a boon to Kiev. Right? So... This is one of the Telegram channels that Eva had shared from that post. And actually, I zoomed in. It blends in so much to the grass. Like, I had to so zoom well. in, and I couldn't even see it when I zoomed in. I was like, wait, I, I, I'm guessing that shadow is it? I mean, it's it's kind of, now, yeah. it's it's interesting, because on stream that I'm seeing it on on uh, OBS, it actually does does look, you can kind of see it stand out in that circle right there. Um, yeah, and that's funny that that black thing is actually a tree, but because I'm on against a green screen, it looks black. <clears throat> that's funny. Yeah. So again, I just wanted to showcase Eva's work. Please uh, support Eva Bartlett. And I I thought I had a graphic about Eva. Uh, she's she is an incredible writer. She's written for RT at Eva K Bartlett. E V A K Bartlett is her. It's her handle. Uh, I'll get some stuff together, and it's it's going to be all in the descriptions afterwards for sure. Um, welcome, everybody, to the chat. That was our first story talking about Ukraine pedal mines. And, again, I, I want to shout out uh, independent journalist Eva Bartlett, who is on Ukraine Kill List. She is reporting from the Donbass right now. Uh, Ukraine is targeting her, and uh, we are, you know, hoping – that she stays safe, appreciate the work that she does and the effort and the commitment that she's got to bringing the story and telling the truth from on the ground and countering what the NATO narrative is, because otherwise, who's going to do that? Who's going to give you the truth from on the ground and and in country that that's English speaking, that we know has reported on these things in, in the framing that that see that's anti-corporate, that's that's looking at it from a, an anti-corruption perspective and that's, that's got the receipts and that's done the work and she's got the chops and the history. Um, here we go. Ukraine, what's going on? Wrong assumptions, wrong conclusions, and 
A lot of dead soldiers. Gross. Ew. Oh, again, we are anti-war. We're definitely anti-war here. We don't want to see anybody mm -hmm. dying. And we think that a lot of this stuff is unnecessary because of all the things that they're going to talk about here. So, as the war in Ukraine passes the half-year mark, lots of media produce their conclusions about the beginning of the war. But when looked in at detail, uh, these are most superficial, superficial write-ups of what people assume Russia's plans are at the start of the war uh, and how those soon plans fit with the presumed reality. And here's an example. The Washington Post has a long exclusive piece headline, The Battle for Kiev. Right, Ukrainian valor, Russian blunders combined to save the capital. And it first describes the immediate start of the war and then states a false assumption. All right. The question everyone faced at that moment, which is Ukrainian Interior Minister Montrosky said, how far can the enemy go without with that enormous fist? All right. Uh, Reef, I'm getting feedback from you again. Uh, if the Russians could seize the seat of power in, in Ukraine or at least cause the government to flee in panic, the defense of the country would quickly unravel, right? Moscow could install a puppet government. That was the Kremlin's plan, right? That, that That's what the Washington Post is saying then. I don't know why the authors think they know what the Kremlin what, what the Kremlin's plan was. I'm certain that the described one is not what Russia intended to strive for. A piece of Newsweek makes similar assertions. How Putin botched the Ukraine war and put Russia's military might at risk. Right, and here's right. what they say. This is this is out of Newsweek. Ukrainian defenders have indeed been ferociously determined while Russian troops had have had to contend with bad battlefield leaders, inferior weapons, and an unworkable supply chain. They've also been hobbled by Putin himself. He misread the world situation, okay, and personally ordered a disastrous invasion looking to overthrow the government in Kiev. All right. He directed a botched effort to take Donbass, which, okay, depleting the Russian armed forces in the process. Of course, we all know. And they continue to say that Putin, like every other dictator we've known in the modern era, thinks he knows better, more than his own military and more than any experts. One senior intel who works on Russia and requested anonymity to speak, frankly, tells Newsweek. Of course, Newsweek. Okay. The February invasion was designed to overthrow Vladimir Zelensky and take over the entire country, and Russia deployed tens of thousands of troops in Belarus to Ukraine's north, threatening Kiev. Again, this is all coming out of Newsweek. This is not Moon of Alabama's analysis. They're going to debunk this in a moment. Okay. Given Russia's overwhelming numerical superiority, Putin expected the government in Kiev to fall in as little as 72 hours. There is no evidence that any of those assertions are true. At the beginning of the year, Russia faced the problem. In the larger picture, it had to prevent Ukraine's admission to NATO. Negotiations with the U.S. had failed to achieve that. In the immediate situation, Russia also had to prevent an immediate Ukrainian attack on the Donbass republics. Okay? There were several potential ways to achieve that, each which came with a different timelines, uh, with a different timeline and price point. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely coming from your mic. Um, at the at the beginning of war, I, it's not. Okay. Anyway, Putin made one remark Why? to the Ukrainian military command to give up, uh, to make the necessary concessions, and to remove the civil government should it not agree with them. But during the first days of the war, it became immediately clear that the Ukrainian military command did not want or did not dare to do that. This military coup would have been the cheapest and fastest solution for both Russia and Ukraine. 
Okay. The second option was to press the Ukrainian government into agreeing Russia agreeing to Russia conditions to end the war. Um, to to remove Ukrainian the Ukrainian army from the Donbas, to accept Crimea as part of Russia, and to repudiate any NATO association plans. The move of Russian forces to to around Kiev uh, was designed to achieve that. Okay, it nearly re reached that aim during talks held at the end of March in Turkey. As soon as the Ukraine uh, seemed to agree to the Kremlin's conditions and to a potential summit, Russia ordered its troops to move back from the city. On, the, on March 29th, France 24 summarized its daily report collection with this, right? The Ukraine proposed adopting neutral status and a 15-year consultation period on the, on the future of Russian-occupied Crimea as long as a complete ceasefire with Russian forces is agreed, negotiation, negotiator said at the conclusion of peace talks in Istanbul on Tuesday. Despite Russian vows to radically reduce military operations near Kiev and Chernigiv, uh, Okay, uh, Western officials urge caution. Of course they did. Kremlin's hope for the for a fast end to the conflict was disappointed when, a few days later, Zelensky suddenly refuted all the concessions the negotiators in Istanbul had made. This followed a phone call between the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Zelensky on April 2nd and Johnson's visit to Kiev on April 9th. A report in the Ukrainian Pravda described what happened, machine translation, Okay, that after the arrival of British Prime Minister Boris Johnson in Kiev, a possible meeting between uh, Zelensky and Putin has become less likely. Two things happened, after which a member of the Ukrainian delegation had to openly admit that the president that me the meeting of the presidents was out of time. Okay, the mm. first is the first is the exposure of atrocities, rapes, murders, massacres, robbery, indiscriminate bombing, hundreds and thousands of other war crimes committed by. Russian troops in the temporarily occupied Ukrainian territories. The second obstacle to agreements with the Russians arrived in Kiev on April 9th, meaning Boris Johnson. So details. According to uh, Ukrainian parliament sources close to Zelensky, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who appeared in, in the capital almost without warning, brought two, brought two simple messages. The first is that Putin's a war criminal, he needs to be squeezed, and not negotiated with. And second, if Ukraine is ready to sign any agreements on guarantees with him, then they are not. This position of Johnson testified the collective West, which back in February offered Zelensky to surrender and run away, now felt that Putin was actually not as all omnipotent as he was, as he was imagined, and that right now there was a chance to squeeze him. Three days after Johnson left the UK, Putin went public and said, Talks with Ukraine have reached an impasse. The mm. West, right, in, in form of Joe Biden's messenger, Boris Johnson, told Zelensky, first in a phone call, then in person, that he would be on his own if he should sign a ceasefire agreement that made any concessions to Russia. Basically putting, right, right? it totally puts Zelensky right in the middle, right? Uh, Russia's yeah. initiative to achieve, to achieve fast concessions and its motive to keep troops around Kiev um, had failed because the West did not agree to it, right? Again, this is, it wanted a long war to drag Russia down. Um, and that's probably true. All right, Zelensky accepted the Western pressure for a war down to the last Ukrainian and ended the negotiations by making new demands that Russia should could never accept, right? Since then, Russia yeah. removed its troops from the vicinity of the big cities, Kiev, Chernihiv, uh, Sumy, and Kharkiv, 
this to drag the Ukrainian troops away from the civilians in the cities into the countryside and to expose them to the massive artillery strikes that the Russians use along the front lines. Okay, they're trying Congratulations. to... Congratulations. You played, you played yourself. yourself. That's right. Okay. There, the Ukrainian troops get demilitarized and denazified just as Putin had ordered. Right? Anyone who says that Russia is too slow and does not make progress along the front line misunderstands the situation. Russia is deliberately dragging the Ukrainian forces toward the rural front line to destroy them where they destroy them there without creating massive civil casualties. Well, that kind of makes sense, right? The Russian army has deliberately slowed down its advance to the special military operation in Ukraine in order to reduce civilian casualties. Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu uh, said in a meeting of defense chiefs at, from Shanghai Corporation Organization member states on Wednesday. So Shanghai Corporate Cooperation, that's got to be something with China, right? <clears throat> Quote, we strictly comply with humanitarian law during the special operation. Attacks are carried out with high-precision weapons on the Ukrainian armed forces, military infrastructure facilities, including command points, airfields, depots, fortified areas, and defense industry sites. At the same time, every effort is being done to prevent civilian casualties. It certainly slows down the right. advance, but we do it consciously, Shoigu pointed out, right? Well, mm -hmm. of course they're going to say that, but the following document is really original, if it's really original, this approach seems to be quite successful because this is here. Someone leaked an official report of the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense about losses sustained. Again, there'll be a tweet here in a moment. <clears throat> Up to the 1st of July, according to the document, the losses of the Ukrainian military were over 76,000 dead, over 42,000 wounded, 7,200 captured, 2,800 missing and another 1,600 non-combatant casualties, which, who knows? Um, wow. The total numbers look realistic to them. The number of dead is higher than their estimate, but the number of wounded seems to be low in relation to the dead. Yeah. Total numbers look realistic, like it, like it says. There may be several reasons for that. The evacuation of wounded soldiers from positions under artillery fire is extremely difficult, and Ukraine's mil military medical service is not exactly up to date. There's no helicopter evacs and no track medical transport vehicles that could take the wounded out. Right. A lot of wounded will thereby miss the golden hour and simply die before they can be brought into effective medical medical care. We can assume that the Ukrainian staff only counts the heavily wounded and the people who get patched up and sent back to the front line are likely not included here. July 1st was in the 17th week of the war. And the total number of likely dead on the, the above list is 81,066. That, that makes for an average kill rate of 4,767 4, per week or 681 Ukrainian soldiers per day. Again, cannon fodder. Why? As the first weeks of the war, again, there's a lot of, there's some Nazis, but there's a lot of volunteer citizens that were forced into this. So, and again, we don't want to see anybody die for this, you know, kind of, they're caught in, in the middle of a proxy war. Um, as as the first weeks of the war were not exceptionally bloody, the, the number of current dead per day is likely higher. Nine weeks have passed since the reference date of the above report. They've likely added another 42,000 dead to the list. These numbers are consistent with Russian military's daily 
Clover list, which reports several, of several hundreds Ukrainian casualties per day due to airstrikes and well-targeted artillery. A, uh, a recent New York Times piece about the costs of war also gives some numbers. So again, this is the commander of Ukraine's armed forces through the New York Times said Monday that about 9,000 Ukrainians had been killed at the front. This month, Pentagon officials assumed that 70,000 to 80,000 Russians had been killed or wounded. They put the number of deaths at 20,000. But, wow. <laughs> Those numbers are simply not believable, and here from the same piece is why. Analysts estimate, estimate that Russia is firing around 10,000 artillery shells a day, down from a peak of as much as 20,000 during the campaign to take Luhansk and that Ukraine is firing several thousand artillery rounds a month. 10 to 20,000 rounds per day means some 450,000 rounds per month fired from the Russian side. The Ukrainian counterfire is down to several thousand artillery rounds per month. That is a ratio of 100 to 1. Now, I know we're also sending in weaponry, so does that count that? How the heck is that supposed to result in only 9,000 killed Ukrainians and 80,000 Russian casualties? It simply can't. Well, I sound like William Shatner. Mm -hmm. The deliberately slow advance Shoigu describes as achieving the war aim of demilitarizing the Ukraine while Russia's army takes a minimum of casualties. Yep. Most of, most of the experienced younger officers, captains, and majors and the senior sergeants that were the backbone of the Ukrainian army will by now likely be dead. Together with the high material losses and high troop casualties, the Ukrainian army has taken this will to make it less and less capable of any organized maneuver or resistance. All that's left is Ukrainian cannon fodder, which Russian artillery eats up with enormous ferocity. It's sad that it's come to this. And <clears throat> Six months. <laughs> Automod held somebody's comment for review. Wow, look at that. Yeah, this is the. It's a hard story to get through. Um, mm -hmm. But we got it. We got to take our medicine a little bit. These we got four not so great stories. Um, but these are really, really big ones. Um, and I know a lot of people talk about what's happening in Ukraine. Um, I don't really see too many people referencing one of Alabama, but I think they're one of the best sources there is. I read them pretty consistently. There's a few, of course, people who are in country, people like Eva Bartlett, uh, people like George, George um, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking out on his last name. He interviewed with Tara. You you did that stream, right, Reef? Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't think of his last name. Sorry. Uh, of course, you know, people. What? What was it? George. 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 That Tara interviewed. I can't think of his last name. Eliason. Eliason. George Eliason. Yeah. That's who it was. Sorry. Thank you. So, who did done it, right? So there, that's pretty accusatory, and that was like a few days ago, like maybe a week ago. Again, it's come out in the last, that was eight days ago. 
This was also eight days ago. This was also looking at the deductively who had the most to gain. Ah, oh, we knew it. I know that guy did it. We knew it. I know that guy did it. Yep. Um, come on, come on, Jimmy. Who did it? What? Yep. No. Fing F. Yeah, we know. That's Are shout you out. kidding me? Shout out to Joe at, at STF. You shit lib too. Follow follow Joe. Um. Oh, bitches. Yep. Hi, Steph. Okay, so Ramesh Thakur from the Spectator AU, and I found this little piece uh, a couple days ago. I was having a Facebook argument with somebody, and they they were trying to insist that. Well, because we didn't have exact evidence and they never did the investigation. And we now know that they will never do an, a joint investigation and why. Um, that, well, it's all speculation and it's all Russian propaganda. Well, we're going to look at, you know, Occam's razor. What is the simple and most obvious explanation? And we're going to take a look at a couple different uh, breakdowns of that. Hey, Bert, welcome on the rock fan. What's up, man? Good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Over here, over on. How did we miss that? It's Sunday night. It is the end of October, and Reef is not dressed for Halloween. And of course, Indy put on a, a, a new outfit a couple weeks ago, and we're still trying that on. So that's my costume. Um. <laughs> all right. So Moscow, of course, blames hostile actors for last month's underwater explosions that blew up the Nord Stream pipelines connecting it to Germany. We know this. Western mainstream media has mostly accepted Russia's culpability. Okay. Uh, however, Michael Fowler and David Rundell note Newsweek, nearly 90% of the world isn't following us on Ukraine. Uh-huh. Don't hold your breath for an impartial independent investigation with four plausible suspects in classic thriller style. It's worth looking at means, opportunity, and most revealingly, motive. Who done it? Yes, that's right, Colin. Reef is dressed as a pothead, and he's good at it. And, uh... He's he's extra smoky tonight. Um, by the way, if you go to Doctor Smoke, spooky red, spooky, Ooh, almost orangey. Um, if you go to Doctor Smoky dot Cloud, by the way, that'll actually take you to Reese Lintry. It's hilarious. I don't know if he even knew that. Nice. But anyway, D R S M O K E Y dot Cloud. Uh, anyway, so the the sophisticated operation about Nord Stream, getting back to Nord Stream 2 and not talking about reef smoking weed. Um, sophisticated operation, of course, is was likely involving a well-trained and equipped Navy, special forces, technical planning, and specialist logistical support had to involve one or more state actors. All four potential suspects fit the bill. Any country with the means would have plenty of opportunity, but considering the location in waters around Poland, Denmark, and Sweden, it would be more challenging for Russia than the others to escape complete detection. Regarding motive, it's worth asking a favorite question in crime thrillers. We bono. Okay. Uh, History is full of examples full of powerful countries conducting false flag operations Provoking military incidents or issuing impossible ultimatums as the trigger to attack for an invasion. In the Mukden incident in 1931, Japanese troops bobbed a railway under their own control as the pretext to invade Manchuria and establish the puppet state of Manchu Manchuko. <coughs> Manchuko. Um, Manchuko. 
1933, of course, the, the Nazis set fire to the Reichstag, and Hitler exploited that to rule under emergency powers until 1945. In 1938, Britain and France delayed a war by a year by appeasing Hitler's designs on Czechoslovakia and the infamous Munich Pact. We don't really hear about that much in school, I'll tell you right now. Um, in 1964, mm -hmm. two U.S. destroyers, of course, we know, were attacked off the U.S. Uh, off the coast of Vietnam. LBJ describing it as an unprovoked, despite clandestine, this described it as unprovoked, despite clandestine U.S. activities in support of South Vietnamese sabotage inside North Vietnam, in bleh, inside North Vietnam, got Congress to pass the Tonkin Gulf Resolution that allowed a steady escalation of the Vietnam War. In 1999, again, NATO went to war against Serbia because President Milosevic rejected the Rambouillet ultimatum on Kosovo that dictated the terms of political settlement between the central and provincial governments. Again, we're going back again all these times where we're breaking stuff and we're setting false flags. Again, in November 2002, Iraq agreed to comply unconditionally with UN Security Council Resolution 1441 that imposed tough inspections. Warden in their desire to provoke Saddam Hussein into defying the UN as a pretext to go to war. Tony Blair and George Bush scrambled to fix intelligence around the, in the decision to invade Iraq with as much illegality as Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Um, I mean, if you're going to say one is the same, one is the same. What they're talking there is yellow cake uranium, if I remember correctly. Um, so... Russia has the least to gain and the most to lose from the act of sabotage that destroyed a lucrative export lifeline and its main source of leverage over Europe. So why exactly? Yeah. In a tortured explanation, James Crisp in the UK Telegraph argues that blowing up the pipelines was a page ripped straight from Vladimir Putin's playbook of panic, escalation, and misdirection. What? Yeah that will raise soaring gas prices and exacerbate the cost of living crisis in Europe. But Russia could... Fuck could you! Right. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. But Russia could have simply just turned off the valves without destroying a very expensive asset. Chris speculates further that the explosions could be a warning of what Russia could do to pipelines from Norway. Telegraph readers were not impressed. Oh. Right. David Anderson... Clarify Crisp's thesis with words worthy of Sir Humphrey Appleby. Putin may or may not have done something which doesn't appear to make any difference, but perhaps he's doing it because he may or may not be planning to do something in the future. Yep. That about sums it up. <laughs> Dude, and then we've Sir got... Sir Humphrey Appleby seems like a My Little Pony, like, alt, alt character. It probably that's, is. That's what it seems like. It probably is. You so know, it's like off brand My Little Pony has has Sir Roger Appleby. So yeah. Ramesh Thacker is is praising here Tucker Carlson, Jeffrey Sachs, legend, and Joe Rogan, uh, who are among the few with the stature Joe and courage, Hogan. Joe Hogan, to discuss the possibility that the US may itself have been behind the blast. Count Jimmy Dore and uh, who are these of, people? Yeah. What what? 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 Who, who are these people? Uh, uh, Joe! What's up, Joe? Oh, Joe, Joe, Joe Rogan? Joe Hogan. Oh, man. Okay, Joe so Hogan. Victoria Newland, of course, we know Yats is the guy. Uh, 
She's a senior diplomat, and I use the term loosely, you understand, of fuck the EU fame during Ukraine's political upheavals in 2014, insisted on January 27th that if Russia invades Ukraine, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Of course, we know that on February 7th, President Biden said that if Russia invaded Ukraine, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2, which was a weird jumbled sentence to begin with. There will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. Press to explain how well we will, I, I promise you, we will be able to do it. Um, but what about the Nord Stream 3? Well, well, I don't think that. that's going to get built right now. So Poland's former defense Sometimes minister. we need trilogies. Right, and that's of course, Hollywood loves. public of the uh, a husband of the Polish-American Atlantic columnist Ann Applebaum, who's a Russia hawk. Radek Sikorsky. An- another since deleted. another Thank My you. Little Pony character. Well, we, well, wait a minute. But this is the dude that tweeted, Thank you, USA, with the picture of the pipeline thing. Remember that? But it got deleted like 15 minutes later. Because it turns out that his wife's a diplomat or his wife is connected to something. It's like, oh, shit, delete that. Yeah. Roddick Sikorsky. His wife is a columnist for The Atlantic. All right. Which, of course, Russia immediately noted and everybody noted. So, I, I, okay, I, I must be a Russian asset. <laughs> Ridiculous. After the attack, Secretary of State Blinken said it's a tremendous opportunity to once and for all remove the dependence on Russian energy and thus... Take away from Vladimir Putin the weaponization of energy as a means of advancing his imperial designs. Again, hilarious when you compare it to all the bases and all the places where we are trying to push American businesses and American business interests and do it militarily, primarily. Just take a look at what's happening in Africa and, of course, Ukraine, where we destabilized their government in 2014, which... Ramesh here had pointed out. So, um, this confirms that Newland and Biden's earlier remarks reflected a deliberate strategy. Okay, Jonathan Cook, uh, he's another Indie Media Award honoree. He suggests that if Europe turns a blind eye to evidence of the U.S. role in the explosions, it would denote an acceptance of vassal status. But would the U.S. really attack a piece of joint... Germany-Russia infrastructure that is critical to Europe, hoping with an anticipated harsh winter in which people fear having to choose between heating and eating? Huh. Listen to this. It's more likely the U.S. approved the attack and helped with support and planning without direct participation, which aligns perfectly. Again, this was on October 22nd. This aligns perfectly with what Russia is now speculating. Okay, and on... On the 29th or on the 30th. So, Poland has both commercial and historical reasons. Okay. The Nord Stream pipelines would reduce lucrative transit fees for gas shipments from Norway to Europe through Poland. It's been at the forefront of efforts to help Ukraine with all possible means and uncompromising in opposing any concessions to Moscow. Of course, they're full of Nazis too. Speaking of Kiev in August, President Duda called Duda, Duda, called for the liquidation, the complete dismantling of Nord Stream 2. Yeah. Yet the notion that Poland would risk a grave rupture of relations with Germany seems a little far-fetched. Ukraine, of course, had the least to lose and the most to gain from the explosions. It's a tit-for-tat response to Russian attacks on Ukraine's infrastructure. Uh, The victim of Russian aggression, already at war and determined to recapture lost territory on the battlefield or regain them through economic pressure, 
Ukraine is the least concerned with escalation that will entangle NATO and the U.S. directly. Actually, they want to very much entangle U.S. and NATO. Commercially, Nord Stream enables the supply of Russian gas without having to pass through Ukraine. A significant revenue loss and a diminution. Uh, it should say diminution. It's missing an I of influence in Europe. Right. Geopolitically, the damage deprives Russia of a critical lever to blackmail Europe. Again, blackmail Europe. This is ridiculous. It's still coming from a Western source. So you have to look at the bias. Yeah. But he's getting it mostly right. Um, assuming the act is, requ you know, required close partnership with U.S. intelligence and military in training, supplies, logistical support, and crucial information, it will also enhance Ukraine's credibility as a potential NATO ally which is why Ukraine didn't do it. But meanwhile, Ukraine is not a NATO member, and therefore Russia has not still been directly attacked by NATO, an important firebreak against uncontrolled escalation through nuclear threshold. Except that we're already at the brink there, and I don't think that they really give a shit at this point. And now we get to a couple of graphics that I took a look at and that I did some research on Twitter. Again, I am not going to profess to the accuracy of these. I'm going to say that logically these look like they make a lot of sense. However, I'm not going, I'm not an underwater explosives expert. I don't profess to be. This is a graphic I found off of Twitter. You can see that at Chuck Farrer and Eric, Eric Wyman, I don't even know who they are. However, you can clearly see here that one of the arguments that's yeah. coming from the liberals is that the Russians detonated this from the inside, that they sent a, a, a motorized device, some kind of drone inside and, and exploded it from the inside to make it look like, like somebody else did it. Except that when you take a look at exactly how it was done and the way the rupture happened and the way the explosion happened, you can see here that, yep. again... It's impossible to say that it happened from the inside. So that's first. With the interior liner, like, still pretty intact there, too. Correct. Right. And the, <laughs> and the steel peeled outward to perpendicular to blast waves, again, which only would have happened from yeah. the outside, but would have gone a different direction from the inside you based upon. Had, because that shape charge or whatever, like, you also have. The power of water which yep. could easily cut through steel like that so and especially if you give it a small fracture to go into so you know those things will be like water razor blades pretty much yeah um, okay so right so you're, you're looking at the gas flow coming this way them setting off those charges i don't know if, what the difference of the gas flow is it's just understanding which way this came out. Um, so that was an interesting one I found. And then, of course, we have this one. <laughs> this was not from Ramesh. Sorry, I didn't. I forgot to take that out from the slide. I found this one on Twitter. Who hates Russian pipelines? USA. Who tried to stop being built? Stop being built? USA. Who said they destroyed them? USA. Who benefits from their destruction? Us. Who destroyed them? We have no idea. Oh, we have no idea. 
Blue Moon, Red Wine, what's up, Lucy? How are you? INN fam, go check out her channel. Everyone go subscribe to Blue Moon, Red Wine if you're not already. Okay, I'll wait. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to wait. But go subscribe to her channel and come back. So, mm -hmm. actually, you can click on her name, I believe, in the YouTube chat and you can subscribe to her channel right that way. And then, of course, we have the most obvious Occam's Razor. And you can see that our friend Ruski Orkbot 3000 posted this one, right? The mm -hmm. Russia invested billions into Nord Stream 1 and 2, then sailed undetected all the way to Poland, exactly where the U.S. Navy was testing under, underwater drones days prior, and blew up their own pipeline. Yes, complete clown show. So... So, mm -hmm. Ukraine spin, what's going on? <clears throat> Patrick Lawrence, you know, it's funny, Reef. we covered Patrick Lawrence last week, and he posted a, uh, uh, he did an original for Sheer Post, which is in the- Not in, to be confused the, with Jennifer Lawrence or the other Lawrence that's the actor. Martin, Martin, Martin. Yeah, um, no, not to be confused <laughs> with either of those, but- um, so this is in Consortium News, which is another Indie Media Award winner, like Sheer Post, like Sheer Post was. Patrick Lawrence very easily could have been. And uh, they, they they put their their caveat disclaimer on this one. The views are solely these of those of the author. It may or may not reflect, but I have a feeling that in this case, they actually do reflect the views of the uh, the editors and those of Consortium News, who are amazing, outstanding people. I've actually been DMing and messaging back and forth with Kathy Vogan, who's one of the editors and founders. She's fantastic. Go follow and support Consortium News if you can, please. Uh, they're one of the few independent, really uncorrupted outlets that's calling out what's going on with imperialism. So is Cobalt Action Magazine, the one before. They do outstanding work again since 1978. The new one again, Consortium News. Patrick Lawrence, War as Presentation. And this is really talking about narrative stuff. November 1st, this is the day after Halloween now. As the U.S. midterm elections approach, the gap between Western media's depiction of the war in Ukraine and the actual war waged on the ground appears to be widening more dramatically. Right, I don't think that's surprising. There's, ah! oh, sorry, those are voters. Um, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, the kid. Wait, you see the kid? Oh. Pokemon, go to the polls. No, yeah. No, oh god, she has infected our stream. Go away, <laughs> Demon C. Go away, David. All right. Oh. Of course, we are urged that. Uh, and, and pa I believe Patrick has a British accent, but then he came over here. He lived here for a long time. His bio is on at the end. We're urged at every turn to dismiss everything Putin says is upside down to the truth, right? Those of us who keep our heads while, uh, while all about us, others are losing theirs and blaming it on us, risk dismissal when we take the Russian president seriously. Never mind. It's simply t time to dismiss those who dismiss. In his long interviews with Oliver Stone five years ago, Putin observed that it is impossible to work with the Americans because everything is held hostage by their election cycle. So true. Too bad so many yeah. of us, so many among us, are not capable of listening to the Russian leader on this point and learning from it something about how our post-democratic system malfunctions. Right? Um, Domestic politics, what plays in Peoria and all that, determines foreign policy. This was Putin's point. And what electoral politics determines foreign policy, foreign policy becomes presentation, which is to say unserious, 
because all the good people of Peoria ever get from Washington calls are unserious presentations of events and policies that have little to do with reality. He's right, okay? America has started wars because of what political candidates think will play in Peoria at election time. Um, I think we're seeing that play out right now. Countless lives have been yep. sacrificed to the cause of this or that political candidate or party. <clears throat> Paul Pelosi, what? No, I didn't, I didn't say that. Um, as the late Robert Parry, who was the founder of Consortium News, Gary Sick established, there is ample reason to suspect that the, that the Reagan campaign conspired with Iran during the 1980 presidential campaign to delay the release of American hostages at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran until after the November 4th elections. Whatever happened between Reagan's people and the clerics governing Iran, the great communicator went on to present himself as the strongman savior of the hostages who were released on January 20th, 1981, of course, the day that Reagan was inaugurated after trouncing Jimmy Carter at the polls. This is all known history, yeah. right? And now we have the UK Ukraine case, and we need not bother with ample reason. There is an It is an open and shut evident at this point as we, that we witnessed two wars as the American armed forces of Ukraine face off with the Russian military. Uh, I'm sorry, not... Let me read that again. It is an open and shut evident... It is open and shut evident at this point that we witnessed two wars as the armed forces of Ukraine face off with the Russian military. There is the presented war, the meta war, you might say, and there is the waged war, the war taking place in the ground, nothing meta about it. Wow, that was a a real Freudian slip, American Armed Forces of Ukraine. It might as well be. I yeah. mean, we all know that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Right, and there actually, this is a, one of those pictures. This is from Wikimedia Commons, from Wiki, uh, again, Wiki, Wikipedia, not WikiLeaks. This might even be WikiLeaks, but this is Putin and, all, and Oliver Stone sitting down. The Biden yeah. admin has been committed from the first to fighting the presented war, the war of appearances, because maintaining the public support for this dreadful folly is essential to keeping it going. And with the midterms near, the administration and the clerks and the liberal press serving it are pressing the presented war with the vigor of D-Day generals. Right? Stay with us, all you waivers of blue and yellow flags. Forget about inflation and what you have to pay for a gallon of gas or a box of Wheaties. We're getting this done. The tide has turned. The good, courageous, self-sacrificing Ukrainians are winning against those looting, war crime, committing, village-destroying, brutal, they are ever and always brutal, Russian forces. Don't lose heart. Support us on November 8th as we support Ukraine. Wow, that really does sound like a Democratic oh. Party ad. Oh. Yeah, yeah I, I just threw up in my mouth, sorry, for even having to say that. Yeah. That is the pitch. This is the, this is the presentation. Right. Parenthetically, I do not think this rubbish will make a wit's difference when those Americans are <laughs> foolish enough to go to the polls next week. Right. But the oh. White House and Democratic field have to put this across because the Republicans are hammering them daily about the irrationality of their profligate commitment to proxy war that simply cannot be won on the ground. And then there, of course, is the Frontline's coverage ban, which Patrick goes into. And that gets into our friend Eva Bartlett, of course, who's in famously in the Donbass. Um, the presented war has been at variance with the waged war, more or less, since the Russian intervention began on February 24th. This is why Western correspondents, in any case apparently short on guts and integrity, are pleased enough to conform to the Kiev regime's ban on coverage from the front lines. What? Yes. 
there are no there, there's nobody embedded with you well also because they don't want to get the the reporters killed because all the ukrainian soldiers are <laughs> many of them are actually getting killed so that's yeah i've actually seen it I've, I've seen a bunch of reporters that go there and they never go up to the front line they're always in the back and well, then they're not they allowed. Yeah. a couple of bombs go off and they run away like yeah. malcolm schmantz yeah. yeah like little little, little dylan bum dum bum burns did he even go sure. there by, by and large these correspondents report the presented war but the gap between the presented war and the waged war now appears to be widening more dramatically and here's where it really gets insane it's an emperor has no clothes on one hand the ukrainian celebrated counteroffensives launched in august appear to be exhausted with no significant gains ex- achieved you have you also have russia's call up of, of as many as three hundred thousand reservists and the appointment of sergey surovkin who's a no-nonsense general that led russia's campaign against the, the the islamic state in syria as the overall commander of ukraine operations on the other hand you have you have the midterms yeah since the summer the democrats prospects on november 8th grow ever dimmer those prosecuting the presented war have grown even more incautious in their departures from the waged war it's they're, they're just being ridiculous i could be wrong Right, but this latest phase in the presented war began October twelfth, the midterms a month away, when the New York Times quoted Lloyd Austin saying that Ukraine's offenses will continue well into the winter and that Russia's recent attacks on Ukraine's infrastructure have fortified the West's re- unified resolve to continue supporting the Kiev regime. Doesn't Russia like really fight good during the winter? Is that like where they're That's like their Is thing? It, that's their thing. That's like kind of that's kinda of like their thing. Kinda, yeah. That's so there's there's Jen Stoltenberg and Lloyd Austin, and here I he mean, continues, right? Yeah, uh, go ahead. I expect that Ukraine will continue to do everything it can throughout the winter to regain its territory to, and to be effective on the battlefield. Okay, but we're going to do everything we can to make sure that they have what's required to be effective, meaning a hundred billion dollars and tons of weapons. Yep, but yeah. they're still losing, and those weapons are going to end up in God only knows whose hands. Oh wait, yeah, wait until the the, everything, like say we get out of this when it's over. Like all that, all that stuff is going on the black market as it, you know, it already is though. But it's gonna get really bad. Yep, Wyatt yeah, Reed I mean, too. By the way, shout out to Wyatt Reed. Shout out to Georgia Leason. Shout out to all of the the reporters that are in in the Donbass region that are trying to report from from the ground and from the front lines to give us the story of what's really happening, and call out the Nazis for being Nazis when they act like Nazis. Um. But here's what's weird. Again, Patrick's pointing out that Austin's comments seem to me to mark an important point of departure from reality. Neither of the above quoted assertions is true according to all available evidence. That's bad. Um, Ukraine's mm-hmm. counteroffensives, after its forces pushed through an open door in the Northeast, have nothing to show for themselves and are in for a debilitating winter. The West resolve, no secret to anyone, even the Times looks increasingly wobbly, especially as the Democrats are about to lose Congress. Basically, they're going to have eight weeks to spend a shitload of money, and then they're going to lose the ability to continue to fund this thing. But here's the thing about the presented war. What's said in its cause does not have to be factual or in any way true. It simply just has to be said over and over again. Fake news, fake news, right? (laughs) And what are they wrong? It's wrong, right? And this is what, what, how. On Sunday, the Times published a long piece by Andrew Kramer under the headline, With Western Weapons, Ukraine is Turning the Tables in an Artillery War. The subhead was even bolder. 
in the southern Kherson region, this is a quote from the New York Times, Ukraine now has the advantage in range and precision guidance of artillery, rockets, and drones, erasing what had been a critical Russian asset. Um, yeah, okay. Wow, I said over my fourth morning coffee, turning the tables, erasing <laughs> Russia's superiority in artillery. This is a lot of turning and erasing. <laughs> Drinking my latte. Right? Watching the Yeah. The Kramer's report yep. rests on interviews with a Ukrainian lieutenant, a first lieutenant, a major, and a Polish consultant sitting in Gdansk, all of them, fair to say, troops in the presented war. They are full of ballsy, let me add remarks. We can reach them and they cannot reach us. One shot, one kill. It'll be Stalingrad in winter for them, which tells us precisely nothing. Kramer's assessments. All nothing more than the echoes of the above noted sources are in this same line. There is no mistaking the shifting fortunes of the southern front. Ukraine now has that artillery superiority in the area. This firepower has tipped the balance in the south. It's, again, saying nothing. These statements are absolutely perpendicular to what one reads from sources other than Kramer's, and he should be ashamed to present them as reliable. <clears throat> and here's a doozy from the first lieutenant. We hear a lot of rumors that they're abandoning the first lines of defense. This is what people are saying. People are saying, a lot of people say they're abandoning the first lines. God almighty, this is so pathetic. <laughs> Kramer seems accurate Kramer. here. Kramer. The first lieutenant is almost certainly hearing a lot of rumors to this effect, but that's it. I read a lot of reports that Russian forces, having evacuated many residents of Kherson, are sending in engineering brigades that are assiduously fortifying the city in preparation for whatever defense may be necessary in the coming months. They're also rebuilding buildings, from what I understand. I've seen pictures of them. What and, seems accurate here? Uh, I'll, I tell you, it's what? got... I, I don't know. It, it, it has got to, to the point where I read Kramer's pieces. I need a safe place where they have Who? cookies, board games, and fluffy blankets. And no mainstream Who? dailies, no NPR, no BBC. His work Kramer's, you the... say? Yeah, Kramer. No! Kramer. George. His work is yeah, presented. George. His work Free is the presented life. war as it is fought, ever more fantastically as the midterms approach. Right? And of course, then we get into um, the Duran, Alexander Mercurius, who's the London based podcaster. He spends an hour each evening analyzing the state of things on the ground in Ukraine using all available sources with the due caution that this work requires. These sources are many-sided, Western mainstream, Western independent, Russian mainstream, Russian independent, Ukrainian of all kinds, other sources entirely. He's to be credited for the exceptional granularity of his reports and his often nuanced political analysis. As for example, uh, his recent take, uh, for instance, his recent take on the collapse of the Ostopolitik uh, tradition in German politics. Okay. Um, Mercurius, astutely, I don't know. Do you, do you watch the Durand, Chris? You ever watch their stuff? No. No, oh, they really mm -mm. have to start though. I think I've heard of them. They're good. They were on Jimmy Dore pretty recently. They just got on Rockfin also. They're on Rumble now. Uh, but he astutely points out uh, that the they Russians. They did like Hungry Like the Wolf and. Uh... Duran Duran, that, yeah, that's Duran Duran, not the Duran, not or and not, not, and not the Elvis, Duran, and not Elvis Duran, the the morning show host either, but but the mm. Duran. Um, and there's uh, it, no confusing. It's, it's it's Alex Christophorus is the um 
the U.S., the American host, and then Alexander Mercurius is the, so it's Alex and Alexander are the two hosts for the Durant. Good dudes. Um, really good analysis. I know they've been on with Hinkle as well as um, some other, again, Jimmy Dore. Um, I'm pretty sure that P-Lav and some of the other folks have had them on as well. Again, they're a pretty decent-sized channel, but um, yeah. So he astutely points out again that the Russians are little concerned with the presented war and prosecute the waged war according to substantive, tactical, tactical, and strategic considerations alone, not what any given move will look like when Western, when Western media gets their hands on it. Yeah, in his view, right? That's he's just fighting a war. He just wants to eliminate the Nazis, and now he wants to get rid of the government there. I mean, it, that that appears regime change is is. You know, he does say that he wants to sit down and have peace talks with Zelensky, but Zelensky has been under orders so far to not yeah. until the other yeah, day. I think at first, I think at first he was ready to do the peace deal. I think now it's done. Like he's, I think Russia is like, no, we just got to get rid of the regime. I think so too. So in, no, no. in, in Mercurius's view, Ukrainian forces have nearly shot their bolt. The Western powers are running out of weapons to send them. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Russian forces are beginning to uh -huh. gradually advance once again, which is true. And the buildup of yeah. Russian troops and materiel, anyone who looks can see, many portend one or another kind of major assault, possibly a knockout blow in the coming months. Uh, and while Patrick has not reported directly on any of the questions raised here, the preponderance of the evidence presented leads me to conclude reports such as Mercurius's are far more accurate than what Western media offer and that these media trade primarily in the propaganda of what the presented war is made. I think Moon of, Moon of Alabama also falls into where Mercurius is going. They've done outstanding work analyzing the actual fronts and where the battles have taken place and where territory has been gained and lost. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to American media's reported from Ukraine once the midterms are over and there's nothing more for Democrats to win or lose. And that's what I wanted to report on today. Uh, and I, I'm going to do that after we're done here. At a certain yeah. point, the realities of the waged war will be too large and imposing to distort, obfuscate, or leave unreported. In the case of Russiagate, again, we saw Russiagate ramped up today. Again, Tom Hartman. I saw Jimmy was shared a tweet, <laughs> and he said these people Tom will never Hartman. stop. All right. In the case of <laughs> Russiagate, when the Times and all the media that ape it, had finished their all their lying and disinformation, and the House of Cards had collapsed. They tiptoed quietly out the side door. Not really, because they're still doing it. All right, yeah. I see no chance of this in the Ukraine case. American media helped to make up Russiagate out of whole cloth. The Ukraine conflict is too real for all that. Yeah. And his expectation mm -hmm. again: the admin and, and these media will post elections wage the presented war with less intensity, possibly bringing it at least slightly more in line with the waged war. They will have to think of something as gradually, but almost certainly reality is going to catch up to them and they can't make a war disappear that they're losing. Huh. Right. So this is what I wanted to point out today was that I missed yesterday at about five o'clock, the Washington Post of all things. We got a message. I got a message on my phone popped up from the Washington Post through Apple News because I'm, I'm a sellout and I have an iPhone. Yes, I still have an iPhone. But Washington Post, thank you. Did something crash? <laughs> no. That was a no. sound bite. Okay. Uh, no. Washington, thank you. Uh, Biden administration privately, <laughs> encur 
Listen to this one. Biden administration privately encourages Zelensky to show Russia that Ukraine is open to negotiating to end the war. Mm. Yeah. Are they now? Guys, COVID's over. Ukraine's over. Time to move on to the next thing. And we know what that is. It's either it's either going to be the superbug, and or Taiwan. That's for 2023. Yeah. Right, yeah, guys, I think once we start the first half, I'm not going to yeah. lie. Yeah, once yeah, things they, start heating up on that side, then people they'll slowly phase this out. So this way, it doesn't look like they lost it. So they'll just stop talking about it. Media will do like a blackout on Ukraine, and they'll just be constantly talking about China and Taiwan. And that's yep. we're so. fucked. <laughs> That's that's pretty much what yep. it boils down to. And I like it better yeah. than anything else. Yeah, we know, Nancy. We know. <laughs> we know. Shut up. Eat your ice cream. Yeah. Right? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Paul Paul was saying that last week too, but now he's saying, Get out of my house. Sorry. Yeah, she really uh, hammers it home though. Too soon. Too soon. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Too soon. Stop it. Yeah. Patrick has also been censored off of Twitter, but he's on Patreon. His website is Patrick Lawrence, I believe it's dot com. Yeah. Definitely support him too. We we featured one of his articles last week. Another one this week is an excellent freelance independent journalist. Um covers foreign policy, US, uh British stuff primarily outstanding. So uh now we have they missed the, uh, a mark with the uh with the Nancy thing, you know, if they had just made him like also have a sickle with it, they could have blamed it all on the Russians, you know. Oh, yeah. dude, Fine. yeah, they they definitely <clears throat> should have done. You know what that. I mean, blamed it all on the Russians. Yeah. Yep. Well, the <laughs> yeah, the Russians made the guy hit him with the hammer, and, like Putin had yeah. a mind control device on him. Thank you. Then there was the famous uh, Joe Joe uh, meme of Jimmy Dore standing next standing next to the garage door with the hammer. Um, that one's good. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Right. Paul forgot his Allegedly. Word. Yep. I think I liked it better being blind When I couldn't read between the lines And when I couldn't see the cracks in the structure That lay bare before me the whole time I think I liked it better back when I Suspended disbelief and swallowed pride I thought I knew the difference in the red from the blue, but they both bleed us so dry. They both bleed us so dry. My favorite songs don't hit the same way. I get to the end of a four minute track and I'm only looking back thinking, what did they actually say? So I try to.